0: Many people would sooner die than think. In fact, they do so. Bertrand Russell. Hello everyone and welcome to Secrets of Saturn. I am your host, Jason Lindgren. On this edition we have the world's leading cannabis activist, Rick Simpson. Hello Rick, welcome to the show.
1: Uh, hello Jason, it's great to be with you. And well, we've got a great message to spread to people today, so I hope that people enjoy this broadcast.
0: I hope so. I've had people actually looking forward to this one. We've been talking about uh, having you on. So uh, if you would like, you can give a quick uh, rundown of your history and what got you started uh, exposing the pharmaceutical industry and the cure.
1: (laughs) Okay. I don't know. There's no quick answer for that one, so it'll take a little while. But uh, a quick outline would be in 1972, uh, my 25-year-old cousin died from cancer. And uh, actually, I was just a couple weeks shy of my 23rd birthday, And uh, he was the first person I ever knew that had the disease, and he was the first person I ever knew that died from it. So back in the 1950s and 60s, you know, cancer was known, but it it wasn't that prevalent. You know, most people didn't know much about it. But then about uh, three years after he died, uh, I was leaving work one day. I worked at a hospital. So I was leaving work, and I just got in my car, and this report come on the radio about THC, the active ingredient in marijuana, killing cancer cells, but the announcer was laughing like a fool, so I, I didn't I didn't know how to take what he was saying, you know, but where my cousin had just died, you know, this horrible death, uh, it, it stuck in my memory banks, but, you know, as time went on, I, I never heard nothing more about THC, killing cancer, or anything like that, so I, I just thought it was some type of prank, but still, it stuck in my brain. Uh, you know, I mean, I worked in the hospital system in, a total, in total for about 25 years, and uh, in 1997 I suffered a severe head injury at work, and it left me with a condition they call post-concussion syndrome. Now, some people that have this, they, they have migraine headaches. In my case, I have like what they call mi- almost like migraine noise. My head rings 24 hours a day, and what happened? It drove my blood pressure crazy, and I had, and from the injury itself, I had balance problems. And of course, I mean, I worked in the medical system, so I went to the doctors, and uh, you know, they turned around, and filled me full of chemicals that actually just made everything worse, and uh, you know, I was I wasn't making any progress at all. And then about a year, uh, about a year after my injury, I was watching an episode of The Nature of Things with Dr. David Suzuki, and uh, this was show was called Reefer Madness 2. So I watched it, and it was all these people on there smoking cannabis to help their medical conditions. And, I mean, it was really it was pretty dramatic you know, when, you, when you've seen the results. And uh, so I went out, and I, I had smoked cannabis before, but I'd never looked at it like a medicine. So I went out, and I got some cannabis and smoked it. And when I did, it, it did more for me than all of those pharmaceuticals they were giving me. So I went back. In Canada, I mean, we have the Marijuana Access Program. What a joke that is. But (laughs) anyway, I went to my doctors. All the doctors i seen, I kept asking them all for a prescription for cannabis because it it actually gave me more rest. You know, just smoking it would would provide – see, I I would pass out – like, I was, you know, with this noise going on 24 hours a day, there was just no peace. There was no sleep. That's understandable. So you get so tired that you just pass out for an hour, and then the noise wakes you back up. But if I smoke cannabis, sometimes I would go for two hours or two and a half hours, so I was getting a little bit more rest. But still, it, really, it wasn't the ultimate answer. But it was the best, you know, the best medication I'd found. But they wouldn't give me access to it. And the doctors all kept saying, you know, it's oh bad for the lungs. It's still under study. You know, I mean, imagine a plant that has been used in medicine for five thousand years is still under study. <laughs> what a bad joke that one is. But by 1999, I was really getting desperate. I mean, my condition was going downhill, and I was—they were just giving me more and more of these chemicals. So, one day, I—I I, I got thinking about making the oil, you know, the essential oil from the plant. I, I was thinking, you know, smoking cannabis actually helped me sleep. Well, what would happen if I produced the essential oil? You know, it, if you know, if, if a little bit of you know the bud material can help you sleep. You know, the oil off it should just knock you out. Sure. So I went to my doctor's office and I asked him, I said, you know, what would you think if I was to make the essential oil of the cannabis plant as opposed and you know, and just ingest it as a medication instead of smoking it? And, oh, the doctor got a really weird look on his face when I come up with that one. (laughs) he, He just looked at me and he said, well, he said, that would be a much more medicinal way to use this. But, you know, like he, again, no prescription, no, you know, no support. So i boat. It was in 1999. I made the first oil and uh, I, I'm ashamed to say it now, but I was afraid to use it because I didn't know what I created. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> I knew I knew it was sedative, but what else would it do to you? Where did you, know, you find
0: this, uh, the, the <clears throat> how did you uh, find how to make it the, uh, the first time?
1: Well, I did it the hard way. I, I tried to make oil one time around 1993, and it was a dismal failure. I, I followed these instructions in this little book. And, uh, you know, I'm a power engineer by trade. So I, I was questioning things because I worked around stills and things like that at the hospital. So I understood a lot of this equipment. and uh, But some of the things they had in that book just didn't make sense to me. But anyway, I followed the instructions, and I roomed two pounds of high-grade bud, just completely ruined. There was no oil. There was nothing. It was just garbage. Hmm. But while I was doing that, it, it clued, I clued in, and I thought, you know, well, if I did it another way, my own way, uh, well, maybe that would work. But I didn't have the incentive then to carry on. So years later, in 1999, I was desperate then, so I thought, okay, I'm going to make the oil. So I made it my way. And the amazing thing about this is it came out right the first time. And, it, you know, it was just liquid dynamite when it came to healing. But I didn't know it for it. took me about three years before I recognized it because it's like I said, I was scared to take this stuff. You know, I mean, I had no knowledge of it. I had no medical background, really, you know, other than working in a hospital. So they just continued on with the pills and pills and pills. Uh, by 2001, my thinking processes were so bad that I could hardly remember my own name. That's how bad it got. The you know the, chemi- the the reaction of these chemicals. I was falling down all the time because my balance was still bad. I, I couldn't you know I, I couldn't get the sleep I needed. I, my whole I, I was dying, <laughs> basically.
0: How did you feel that first time you took the oil?
1: Well, well, I'll have to explain anyway. I went to my doctor's office, and I think it was late 2001. And he, he just told me, he said, uh, you're you're on your own. We've given you everything we have. Nothing helps. You're on your own. So, I mean, I, I didn't want to break the law. I'd heard about the chronic pain uh, center in Halifax helping people get a license. So I went home and I called them. And they told me, oh, well, it was a two-year waiting period before you can even get in. You know, so that was no good to me. So, I mean, I didn't really have any choice. I had no no way to help myself. So I went home and I started ingesting that oil. And what I found in the beginning with the little tiny doses, it was kind of similar to smoking pot. But if you smoke pot, you get the results immediately. You know, like in five minutes or so, you, you get that that effect they call being stoned. Right. <laughs> but uh, when I was eating the oil in the beginning, it would be about 45 minutes later. I would get this tired feeling. So, and, and then I'd go to bed. And once I got on the oil, I started sleeping like 8, 10, 12 hours. You know, because I mean, my body was really run down, and my thinking processes—they all started clearing up. You know, I started coming back to being me, and uh, uh, it was kind of funny. I mean, about a month, month and a half uh, from the time I started taking it, one night I, I got the bright idea. One night I said, "You know, I think I'll take more of this just to see what it'll, what, you know, what it'll do to me." <laughs> so I took—I I took at least a half a milliliter or half a gram or more. Put it on my finger and popped it in my mouth. And about an hour later, I went down the hallway, went to bed, and I was laying in bed. And about ten minutes later, I, it, it felt like I was going to become sick. So I want you know I said, "Well, I got to get up and go to the bathroom." So I went to move, and I couldn't move. Hmm. I, mean, I was laying there in the bed, and I looked down at my fingers, and I said, "Move your finger." I couldn't move a fingers. And, oh, my my God, I mean, there's about 30 30 or 45 seconds there. There was real panic on my part because I thought, you know, what what have I done to myself? And then all of a sudden, there's an aggressive side of me, too. So the aggressive side came up and said, you know, get out of this bed. And as soon as I told myself that, I could move again. It was just so deeply relaxing, the effects of it, that it felt like I was paralyzed. I got up and went to the bathroom, but I never became sick. And I went back to bed about a half an hour later, slept like a baby, and and felt great the next day. There was no problems. And actually, to this day, if if I had the oil, uh, once or twice a month, I'd like to take an overdose, because, you know, it's not doing you any harm, and, I mean, this stuff just knocks you out, and you you get such wonderful sleep on it. So, uh, anyway, that only cut me loose, but everybody around me, I mean, the medical system couldn't do nothing for me, but... You know, when I got on the oil, everybody around me started seeing these wonderful results. You know, they could see me coming back.
0: Oh, sure. And
1: and uh, then in 2002, I went to my doctor's office about these three areas. I'd had one close to my right eye on the side of my nose, and I had one on my che- left cheek and one on my chest. And I'd, I'd had these things since the 1990s, and uh, they wouldn't heal, you know, like little lesions. And I suspected... Really, I always suspected that they were skin cancer. But in truth, I didn't want to hear that. No, Nobody wants to hear that dreadful, you know, diagnosis. You have cancer. Jeez. So anyway, I went to the doctor's office and he looked at it. And as soon as he seen the, the one close to my eye, he was very concerned because of the proximity to the eye. So he said, we'll take care of that area first. And then, uh, you know, afterwards, we'll get the other two areas taken care of. So I went to the Amherst Hospital and they operated on it. And uh, they took a pathology sample and sent it to the, you know, for a pathology report. And um, about a week after, again, about a week after the surgery, uh, the area they had operated, it was infected. And that's not unusual in the hospitals today. So uh, it it was quite a mess. And I was looking at it this night. And that's when that report from the uh, 1970s popped back into my head. You know, THC, the active ingredient, marijuana, killing cancer cells. But... Well, I sat there and I thought, well, you know, if if this was actually true, you know, the medical, surely the medical system would be using it. You
0: know, (laughs) They've
1: been telling us forever they want a cure for cancer. You know, so I I, I couldn't, I couldn't conceive that they wouldn't use this if there was any truth in that state, in in that report I'd heard. But so I, I got thinking about it and I just said, well, what would happen if I just put the oil right on these two other lesions, the one in my chest and the one in my cheek? So I put the oil on them. And if you have what they call basal cell carcinoma, it feels like you have splinters in the affected area, and usually it's puffed up and bleeding a little bit. And um, you, all of a sudden, as soon as I put the oil on it the, and I put the bandage on, in, in just seconds, that splinter feeling went away <laughs> in both areas, both areas, in, instantly. But that's the only thing I felt. So, like, for I left these two bandages in place for four days. I didn't remove them. I just left them there. And I didn't feel a thing. So four days later, I go down to the bathroom and I peeled both of them off. And when I looked, it was just all healed, just pink skin. And I, was, you know, yeah, I was just shocked. And, uh, but I mean, even at that point, I still didn't know for sure if it was cancer or not. So <clears throat> anyway, I, I, you know, I started telling friends, you know, like, I think I cured my cancer with this oil from the cannabis plant. And I mean, they literally laughed at me. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, right, Rick. Yeah, marijuana cures cancer. You know, you're a nutcase. And I I mean, after six or seven weeks or six weeks or so, I was starting to think maybe they were right because I was my own first patient. But then that one that they had removed surgically, it came roaring right back. And uh, I watched it develop for about a week. You know, the puffed up feeling, the splinters in the face, the same, same as before. So I just put a little dab of oil on it, put a bandage on. Uh, four days later, removed it. Now that's back in what, that's eleven almost almost twelve years ago now, and uh, I've never had to retreat them. That was it. The it first two it.
0: that you did when you uh, when you got the one in your face back, they they just nothing yeah. ever happened again. Just looked like a healed over, and that was that.
1: Healed over, just pink skin, and then you just blended in with the rest of my skin. You you can't even see where they were. But then again, cannabis is famous for healing and leaving no scars. <laughs> Believe me, I've seen many samples of that. Hmm. But, uh, after, after I did that, I mean, it it amazed me, you know, I I knew then that, you know, this was a wonderful healing substance, but I still didn't know if it was cancer that it, it, that it, it, you know, I had used to heal or used the oil to heal. So I went down to my doctor's office and his receptionist who happened to be his wife. I mean, they knew me well. And I came into the, the, his, his office that day, there was five or six people there in the waiting area. And I just went over, and I asked her for a copy of my pathology report. So she gave it to me, and sure enough, basal cell carcinoma, totally excised. (laughs) You know, the (laughs) medical system always get it all, don't they? Mm. what what a joke. But anyway, I looked at her, and I said, I'd like to come back in the evening and and speak to the doctor about something I've been working on. And she kind of looked at me, and she said, well, what's this about? And I said, well, that that area where they had operated – and took the cancer off, I said, the cancer can come right back. So I healed it, and I healed the other two I had using hemp oil. And the minute I said hemp oil, the woman went literally rigid. Hmm. You know, she crouched, and, and, and she started yelling at me. You know, the doctor will not go there. The doctor will not prescribe this. You know, I, and this woman's acting like a lunatic. You know, right there in front of all these other people, too, that were in the waiting room. And I, I mean, it freaked me out. So I went out and I got in my vehicle and I started home and I got thinking, you know, what's going on here? I mean, if I was a doctor and one of my patients had cured themselves with a natural, you know, healing plant, or especially cured themselves of cancer, I think I'd want to know about it.
0: It sounds so, like you were already finding the corruption in the system, like right, right from the get-go.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, that that was exactly the size of it. And, uh, you know, I, uh, but it really, it it made me wonder, you know, these people know something that they're not telling us there had to be, you know, because it didn't make sense what was happening. Right. Well, then I started passing, uh, my mother, she had weeping psoriasis on her foot and lower leg. Put the oil on that, sure enough, healed that. So I started passing the oil to people I knew who had skin conditions, you know, psoriasis, skin cancer, uh, bad burns, anything like that. And the oil was just healing everything. It was just amazing, you know. So in, in 2003, I, I made, uh, well, we brought it, we found this uh, thing on the Internet called uh, the case for hemp. I believe if you go to the archives in gozarks.com, you can still find it. It's, it's quite lengthy, but at the end, they have all of these medical studies and everything, and the Medical School of Virginia study is mentioned in it. So, you know, I'd seen this, uh, this case for hemp, So, and I had all this evidence, you know, I was compiling all this evidence. So, I sent uh, big proposals into the Canadian government. I mean, I went to every political party in Canada. I went to two federal ministers of health, David Suzuki. I went to W5, the Fifth Estate, Marketplace. Like, these are all big, uh, like, information shows in Canada. You know, and I just thought, you know, somebody's got to do something about this. You know, we've got a wonderful medicine here. And uh, then afterwards, well, nobody did anything. And then afterwards, I contacted the Canadian Cancer Society. And, of course, uh, the only thing I got in reply to that was, uh, we do not endorse the use of dietary supplements. (laughs) So what, what did that mean? I mean, I was telling them, here's a cure for cancer, for God's sakes. Here's the evidence to back it up. And they wouldn't even look at it. And that's when I realized, you know, like the Cancer Society is nothing but a fraud. They, you know, all they want is your money. They don't want a cure because if they had a cure, they'd all be out of work, wouldn't they? <laughs> yeah. you know, it's just it's pathetic what they're doing. And in the end, we even went to the United Nations. Uh, Stephen Lewis was a representative at that time, and uh, we went to you know we sent all this information to him. Not a they didn't do a damn thing. You know, so it was around two thousand and three, that well, I found. What me- was their
0: um, attitude towards it when you were speaking to the representatives of the United Nations?
1: We didn't speak in it. I just contacted Stephen Lewis with all this information. We never heard a word back from them.
0: Nothing. Oh, okay. Gotcha.
1: Yeah. You know, they just totally rejected it. But uh, in, two, I mean, in 2003, uh, like I said, I was treating skin conditions and things like that for people. And it was really working, you know, miracles, you know, right before my eyes. And then uh, in 2003, that was the same year I shut off my damn TV. And that's something I, I recommend that everybody do deprogram yourself yes you know, that box is is if that box is the word probably the worst invention that mankind ever come up with because they're brainwashing people with it
0: oh certainly absolutely
1: so I, I shut off my tv and then i started watching documentaries like loose change and some of the work of aaron russo and many max egan and many different people david ike you know uh, and then you start seeing you start connecting dots because i i seen what was going on, the corruption that was going on to hold this, the use of this medicine back. And then when you start looking into who's running the show, which a lot of these documentaries expose, you know, the mega-rich. Yep. I call them a bunch of psychopaths but because that's what they really are.
0: Outside, that is what they are.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, so it all starts to make sense. But... Uh, and, you know, so by the spring of 2004, I, I was pretty well aware of what was going on, you know, with this so called system and how it's keeping us enslaved. But in 2004, I started passing the oil out to people with internal conditions, like serious cancers, because I was eating the oil and I knew it wasn't hurting me. My God, it cured my arthritis. It did everything. Oh, really? You know, I, oh, yeah, I, I lost a. I One of the scariest things in the beginning when I started taking the oil was the weight loss. I lost about 20 kilos in about two months. And I I mean, I wasn't trying to go on a diet. The oil just took the weight off me, brought me right back to a healthy weight. And then just I stopped losing weight because it detoxifies the body.
0: When you were doing that and and with the weight loss, um, were you going to the bathroom more? Were you seeing any like odd results?
1: Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I was eating. When I got on the oil, I started eating about one third the amount of food that I normally eat. But when I went to the bathroom, uh it was it was just amazing some of the piles that were left.
0: <laughs> okay, so it was literally it, cleaning your guts out.
1: It cleans it takes all the fat off you. And the fat and the toxins and everything, they're flushed from your body. But often you often people that are using the oil that they'll see this right in their stool, all of these funny colors and and things. And even sometimes in their urine. I mean, there was times that I was uh, I was pissing like pink and purple. Hmm. It, it, it was all toxins from those damn chemicals the medical system had shoved into me.
0: Right. How much of a dose were you taking when you were seeing those, uh, those kinds of results?
1: Well, I was taking about a third of a gram a night, about a third of a milliliter at night before bed. That's the dosage I like to take. I mean it doesn't, it doesn't cure the, the ringing in my head, but it makes it so I can live with it. You know, it control, The oil does control my blood, keeps my blood pressure down, and it lets me sleep. You see, the ringing, I can't, you know, if you don't have the oil, the noise takes over your life. And actually, most people that have my condition, they, they in, in the end, they wind up committing suicide because the noise literally drives them crazy. And that's really the, the point I was on. You know, I, I mean, if I hadn't been for this, I, I look at back at this now, I mean, this oil saved my life. And that's the reason I'll never shut up about it. I mean, uh, this is the greatest, truly the greatest healing substance on this planet as far as I'm concerned. And I defy, I defy anybody to prove otherwise. How much,
0: uh, how, how much control do you have over the ringing now using the oil?
1: Well, you don't have control over it. It still rings. But with the oil, when you have the oil in you, the effects of the oil make it so you don't care about it. The noise is there. It's, no, it's there right now. But I don't care that it's there. You see, but if I don't have the oil as a medication, the, no, the, the noise just take, it just takes over your entire life right and it's miserable believe me brother there's no uh, that that saying you know silence is golden (laughs) that's believe me that saying is very true but um anyway i i mean more and more patients kept coming and then i was curing people with with terminal cancers with this
0: was this spreading word of mouth
1: well in the beginning yeah it went word of mouth and then 2004 i went to the local papers And they did a big full-page article detailing everything I was doing, a big picture of me. You know, it was all there. And, of course, more people came. And the oil was, like I said, the oil was healing practically everything. You know, and uh, it's it's just amazing. I mean, this this medication is wonderful for MS, AIDS. I mean, I don't care what you have. Show me a better medication. I'd like to see it. You know, this oil is benign. It's non-addictive. And as far as I'm concerned, the cannabis plant is man's best friend, and it always has been. But, uh, you know, so I, I I was building up more and more people, you know, there was like there was a circle forming around me, you know, after all the, all of these patients I treated. And then in 2005, uh, we had a meeting at the local legion in McCann, and uh, it was only, I don't know, 45, 50 people attended, and I had about 12 patients that spoke that day. And they had different conditions, you know, cancers and things like that, and Uh, Like I said, the oil works on everything, or it seemed to. And um, so we videotaped this meeting. The whole thing was all put on tape. So I went home and I made copies of it. And, again, I sent it to W5, the Fifth Estate, and all these these news and information shows. And uh, then about a month later, in early, I think it was May sixth, two 2005, I took a copy of all this tape into the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And I told them that because I'd already gone to all the politicians and I told them, I said, there's politicians, you know, nearby that, you know, represent us here that should be arrested and charged with criminal negligence causing death because they're they're not reacting to our needs.
0: Did you get and, a response from any politicians whatsoever when you were approaching them?
1: Uh, when I talked to politicians, it was all, well, I mean, for example, there was a politician in Spring Hill. I had known this guy for years and years and years. And, um. You know, and I, I thought he was a decent, honest man. And I went in to him, to him with this, you know, and we talked like friends. You know, and I, I went in and I said, you know, Murray, I said, we, we've got a substance here that's curing cancer. And he comes out and marijuana, I, I, I think that marijuana should never be legalized. Of course, he had been an ex-cop. And I'm looking at him and I said, Murray, I said, I'm not talking about legalizing pot. I said, I'm talking about the medicinal use of the most medicinal plant on earth. Now, It's been denied. This plant can cure cancer, you know, and oh, no, he's still against it. And then he sends me on to the the, the federal MP in our area, Bill Casey. Same thing. I went to him. Uh, I went in right into his office, and I, I started naming names of people that he knew that I'd healed. And then he pretended that he didn't know who they were. So I, I said to Bill Casey, I said, well, come get in my car, and we'll go to the Amherst Hospital, and we'll, I'll prove it to you. Oh, no, we can't do that. <laughs> so then he says, I, I, I have to – I'll go to the parliamentary library to get the lowdown on this. And I said – I looked at him and laughed. I said, you're going to the very people that are standing against the use of this medicine. Is that what you're telling me? And you can see he was quite frustrated, but – Did he anyway, just not he said, believe
0: uh, you or was he – do you really think he knew when he was trying to, to stop you?
1: Well, I, I think he, I think they are all just trying to stop me. I I don't know how much he really knew. But, I mean, these people are literally brainwashed. You know, they actually believe their own propaganda. They don't have open minds at all. And these people represent parties. And parties always, you know, people people that are party members, they tow the party line. Right. And if the party line says no marijuana, (laughs) which is, you know, very prevalent in North America, then, you know, they won't respond. And, uh, I mean, it just totally disgusted me. Uh, Casey said, he said, I'll get back to you after I hear back from the parliamentary library. Of course, I never heard another word from him. <laughs> um, so, uh, in, you know, like I said, in 2005, we'd had that meeting. And I took the, I took the, you know, I, I took the information, the, the video and everything, right into the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. We videotaped me taking it to the police because I didn't have any trust in them either. So we videotaped the whole damn thing. And I asked the police for whatever they confiscated so I could make more medicine. And, uh, well, three months later, the same detachment, they come and raid me. You know, and I'm, I'm like, you know, this is unbelievable. You know, what's wrong with you people? I, you know, and I had all of this evidence. They wouldn't listen to anything. There was about eight of them showed up at my house. Uh, I have to say they acted like a bunch of drunken cowboys. I mean, I, I never seen such antics in my life. You know, a friend of mine was there that day. He'd just come. About two minutes before the police arrived and he was sitting on my deck and I heard, I went out to get a cup of coffee for us. So I went back to the kitchen and just when I got to the kitchen, I heard the knock on the door and I opened the door and there's an RCMP officer standing there. And I made it, I was reading the videotape. I had given them, I told them point blank, I'm growing cannabis in my backyard and this is what I'm doing with. It. So it was no damn secret. They, you know, they had the videotape.
0: Right.
1: So I looked at the cop and I said, are you here to do a count? Because I had 1,620 plants in my backyard in the summer of 2005. And he said, no, he said, he said we're here to confiscate the crop. And uh, so he, he steps out on the deck. Uh, well, before he stepped out on the deck, when I stepped back into the, like from the hallway into the kitchen, I looked out in the deck, and there was three or four cops on the deck, and one of them had a gun, a handgun, right to my friend's head. Wow. You know, what a bunch of idiots. I mean, there was no guns in my house. The only thing that was there was a little pallet rifle sitting in the corner of my living room. You know, it was just pathetic the way these idiots behaved. But finally, they let him go because they realized he wasn't involved. And then the the, the cop that had knocked on my door, when he stepped out on the deck, he he looked at me and he said, uh, four of our fellow officers just lost their lives over that stuff out west. Well, I, I knew the case he was talking about, but it had nothing to do with pot. You know they—they'd gone four four RCMP officers had got killed trying to repossess a pickup truck, and even the RCMP had admitted that. And I threw it right back in his face as you know, don't give me that nonsense, you know. And uh, so the, one of them he, he comes over, and just you know they're all milling around the, the deck. They won't go in like the crop was like twelve feet from my house. You know, great big plants. You couldn't miss them. Sixteen hundred of them. <laughs> and uh, you know, and they're all milling around and and finally one of the cops comes over to me. And he said, is there anything we should know about in the garden? And I I I just couldn't resist the opportunity. I said, well, there's only a few claymores. And you should have seen the look on his face. I mean, it was precious. You know, he looked at me with claymores. And I just let it hang there for a few seconds. Then I started laughing at him. I said, look, I said, my patients come over with their grandchildren. And they walk through this crop. They helped me plant it. You know, I'm not going to put landmines. You know, in the you know, in the garden. And then he turned around and he started to walk away. And then he, he turned back to me and he said, is there anyone with guns in the woods? And I looked at him and I said, of course there is. I said, you know, come here in hunting season. You know, the woods is full of them. You know, I mean, just a pack of cowards and idiots. I just couldn't believe the behavior. But they left me on the deck with this woman officer. while the rest of them went down and started their cutting it down. And, I mean, I was just roaring. And this officer sat there in the deck and she looked at me and she said, I want you to know I believe every word you're saying. And I looked at her and I said, you know, you're sitting here watching them cut down the cure for cancer. You know, you believe everything I'm saying. You know, where the hell are your morals? What's wrong with you? Didn't make any difference. You know, they take me to Amherst and fingerprint me for being a big, bad criminal. And then I go home and the house is trashed because that's the only thing the police know how to do. You know they they always wreck your house, and uh, I mean I was just disgusted. So uh, I went you know, there. I would, that put me in the court case, but the newspapers wrote jaded articles about it. Uh, you know I mean, uh, and now all that did was bring more customers my way. You know every time the chronic, the Chronicle Herald or Spring Hill Record or any, anybody did a story, you know people would read it, and then they'd come look come to me looking for help.
0: Right. Was anyone anywhere in any kind of government establishment or media? Was anyone? doing anything in a positive way or was it complete control from top down
1: complete control from the top down
0: i'm not surprised but i was curious to see if anyone actually had the guts to stand up and say hey wait a second we need to look at this in in a different way
1: well i mean i gave the papers and everything every opportunity and uh i mean this this oil was just working miracles you know all, all over the surrounding area and of course then i started sending it all over canada you know people started contacting me from British Columbia and Ontario and, and I was sending it to them by mail and uh, it was so it started working miracles everywhere but uh, I went into the court system uh, in uh, the fall of 2005 I gave the prosecutor a copy of the videotape that you know of the meeting and on that same videotape it, there was a, a, it showed me taking all this information to the RCMP 3 months before I was ever charged and, I, and on the videotape, it also told him that this did not belong in a court of law. You know, I mean, I have done. I had done this openly, honestly. I never hit a thing. All I wanted the government to do was to cooperate with me. Instead, they persecuted me. And I gave a copy of this same tape to the Chronicle Herald reporter who was in the courtroom that day. So they both had the same tape. And then the judge sits up there. And I found out later they're not allowed to do this, you know, without your permission, but what the, he did, he put a publication ban in place, so the newspapers, you know, couldn't report what was going on. It really wouldn't have made any difference anyway, because for the most part, these newspapers are totally controlled. It, it's just disgusting. There is no real news Well, the real news media is the internet.
0: Well, it's you the alternative. You don't find
1: media. any truth in the newspapers, that's for sure.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: So anyway, uh, they, they decided I should have a charter challenge. Uh, that would be the best way to proceed with this. So that was, well, that didn't happen until 2006, but so 2006 came in the spring, I put another 1,100 clones in the backyard, and uh, they came out, it was September 6th, I believe it was, uh, they came, confiscated that, you know, this time, they didn't even have a search warrant, they just said, we're with the marijuana eradication program, and uh, I wasn't arrested or anything, they just came and took the crop. You know, because they, they they like to keep the cure from the people. <laughs> so that's the reason they were there. It, it was just pathetic to, to see, you know, the the antics these people. Uh, I remember one cop down there one day, there was a big fella, and he was up there, and, you know, they were sweating, you know, because, you know, these plants were big. And he was just getting ready to cut down one of these plants, and I yelled at him, and I said, oh, no, it's not that one. And he looked up the hill at me, and I said, that's the one I was going to use to cure your father's cancer.
0: Nice. You know?
1: They, they hated dealing with me because I threw it right in their faces. You know, I said, you're, you're just nothing but a pack of murderers. You're, you know, you're killing people for the government, for God's sakes. You're killing your own families. Wake up. But, you know, we all know uh, actually the IQ of most cops today. I think is right in, hovers right in around the 100 mark. You know, just slightly above idiot.
0: Yeah, so, they try and I mean, hire they, people that will follow orders and, and that's about it.
1: Exactly. I, I mean, I knew friends of mine years ago uh, in around 1970, one of my best friends. Uh, one of the most intelligent men I ever met. He, he applied for the RCMP and they basically told him, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're too intelligent and you're a free thinker. The <laughs> RCMP doesn't want you. You know, like you said, they want dummies, you know, give a bunch of dummies, a bunch of authority and a, and a little badge and a handgun. And that's what we got policing our society. But in truth, <laughs> if the RCMP wants to take crime off the streets in Canada, the first thing they have to do is arrest themselves
0: because mm-hmm. they're the
1: biggest criminals of all. Oh, sure. But anyway, uh, in 2006, uh, there was a federal election came up. So I ran in the federal election on this issue. <laughs> you know? And uh, the, the papers, they made me the, oh, you know, the one issue candidate. You know, one issue. Now, here's a plant that can end starvation, solve our energy problems, give us the greatest medicine on Earth. You can make over 50,000 different things from it. Anything that can be produced with petroleum can be produced from hemp. You know, I was giving them, a, you know, here's your answer for the future. And then they call that one issue. But, you know, it, it was comical to, to see the way they behaved. Uh, I had I was running against all these people from political parties. Actually, I ran against Bill Casey. <laughs> and uh, nobody could dispute what I was saying. But, of course, Casey and people like that, they would get up there. And I remember during the campaign, Casey got up at one place and he said, I was to the home of 40 families who had children that were addicted to cannabis. You know, and of course, the audience sits there and laughs it up because they don't know any better. But wasn't it the Canadian government in the year 2000 that finally admitted that cannabis is not addicted or addictive? So how could he have been to the homes of all these people whose children were supposed to be addicted to cannabis when it's not when it's not addictive?
0: Because they've got nothing to, to go off of.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was lying right through his teeth. But, of course, you know, the public reelected him again, you know, to another term in office. Uh, You know, just that's Canadian politics.
0: Did they attack the character? Because that's usually what they do.
1: Well, you know, well, I mean, they they made it just sound like, you know, this is a guy who wants to, you know, a pothead who wants to legalize pot. This is the way they tried to dress it up. Right. And uh, I I was truly disgusted with the whole thing. And then uh, the Charter Challenge, it was during the Charter Challenge when I really started to find out what the human race is all about. Uh, I put out 100 120 affidavits to all different patients nearby. Some of these patients I had cured of cancer, and many of them would not become involved. You know, they, you know, I'm happy that it cured my disease or cured my cancer, but I don't want to get involved. You know, because they're scared of the authorities. Right. And uh, so out of the 120 affidavits I put out, I was only able to collect 48. But you know they were solid affidavits. They were in sworn to the, the, you know, the lawyer swore them and all that. In fact, he was shocked. I laughed at him because <laughs> I mean, when, when I first started, I hired this lawyer for the charter challenge, and um, oh man, I mean the first three or four meetings him and I had, it was just war, you know, because I don't I don't back up well from anyone, and you know, and I just told him you know, exactly what went on, and I think it was around the fourth meeting he looked at me one day and he said, Rick, he said, I owe you an apology. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, you know, he said, I've been trying to treat you like a criminal. But he said, it's more become more than obvious to me that there's no there's no criminal in you. Right. (laughs) And I said, well, I'm glad you see, you know, you finally got the picture. And he said, I was talking to some of my lawyer friends about this case. And he said, we think what you're doing is wonderful. And I looked at him and I said, well, if it's so damn wonderful, what the hell am I doing tied up in your stupid court system? You know, and, uh, and I just blasted him. I said, would I be wrong in thinking that probably half the lawyers in Canada are making a living off of marijuana cases?
0: <laughs> and do
1: these lawyers want to give that kind of income up? You know, they're they're all in this thing. Because the government, you know, the, the big money, you know, Rothschilds, Rockefellers, names like that, that really run this planet, they also own our governments. Oh, sure. And our governments control everything. The legal system, the medical system, the educational system, they're in control of it. So they bend everything. To suit the needs of the rich. Of course. While we all suffer and die. You know, hooray for the government. What a damn joke. But anyway, I mean, I, I, I got these 48 sworn affidavits in there. The judge said that the, the affidavits were anecdotal and that I didn't present any life threatening conditions. You know, I, I mean, post concussion syndrome is life threatening because it really affects your blood pressure and everything. And then cancer which I had, it was right in all the information. I guess that wasn't life-threatening either. You know, I mean, I don't, this judge was a first-class clown. So after that was over, uh, they called me back to court, and then they asked me, well, they told me, you know, I can appeal this, this charter challenge. But you see, I, I said, you know, what's the point? I said, I already know what you people are doing. You're trying to keep this, you know, hidden from the, from the public. And, you know, in Canada, we have the, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And it says right in our Charter of Rights and Freedoms that as a Canadian, we have the right to life. But the real truth is, you only have the right to life if you're willing to take their chemicals and poisons. If you take a natural substance that can really heal you, you don't have that right. They're going to put you in jail. That's what they do.
0: You have the right to live the life they give you, not the life you choose.
1: Right. You know, And and like I said, how dare anyone tell us we don't have the right to this God-given plant. That does no harm. I mean, this is ridiculous, but, but, you know, a lot of this is just because, of well, it's all to do with the propaganda they fed us about this plant and the lies. And that's, that's everything our governments or these big corporations and the mega rich, everything they ever threw at us, all that propaganda was nothing but a pack of lies. I've studied this plant now for well over a decade. I have never found one thing about that plant that is detrimental in any way. But it is one huge threat to the pharmaceutical industry and the cotton industry and the energy providers and the textile industries and the chemical industry. It's a huge threat to them all. And guess who owns them? Ah, it'd be those mega-rich guys now, wouldn't it? Uh, It's just pathetic. But after the charter challenge, I, I just told the judge, I said, look, I said, I want to put this in the Supreme Court of Nova Scotia, and I want a jury. Well, that's what happened, and when we went to the court finally... Uh, to select the jury the the jury was selected and I I asked the judge I said would I be correct in saying that I have the right to a jury of my peers and he said well yes and I said well this is not a jury of my peers and he said what do you mean I said these people are not informed I would like to show them you know an hour long documentary about the true history of this plant, so then they'll know both sides Because they've been exposed to the same propaganda that I was exposed to for all those years. Of course, that that wasn't allowed. Of course. And then when they they asked me, well, how do you plead? And I said, I cannot make a plea to any law that is based in corruption. So automatically, they pleaded me not guilty. You know, the whole thing was just a dog and pony show. Well, yeah. (laughs) But anyway, I mean, I had got, uh, I had 10 patients ready to testify. And I had six doctors. I'd called six doctors in. Uh, I actually had gathered up a mountain of scientific evidence because the research is out there. It's, it's, it's out there. All the research is there to back up what I'm saying.
0: It's got to be so, by now.
1: Oh, well, it was then. So, I mean, this is 2007, 2008. So, you know, I thought, you know, there'd be no problem here. So I went in. It was funny because I went into court, you know, and I didn't have the money then to do anything. So I just defended myself. But they, so they put all these RCMP officers on the stand. And, you know, when they put them on the stand, you know, they would go on about their brave exploits in my backyard. <laughs> which is Nothing more than a joke. And uh, but then in the cross examination, I would hold up a copy of the Spring Hill record, you know, a year before I was ever charged. I said, you know, would a criminal go to the local newspaper, you know, and have them do a full page article and put a picture of them? You know, would criminals do something like this? And then every officer had to say no. A criminal would not behave like that. And then I asked them about all the information I had given them back in the spring of 2005. They all admitted. Well, yes, uh, we know about this, but we've never we've never seen it. And then I asked them. I said, "Is it common practice for the Royal Canadian Mounted Police not to look at evidence?" <laughs> and they, they just sat there and looked at me stupid. The judge wouldn't. Uh, the judge should have made them answer, but of course he wouldn't. Uh, it was just uh, it was pathetic. And then they, they brought their big marijuana expert in, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police marijuana expert. Well, what a clown that guy was. I mean, I almost felt sorry for him because I knew my subject and he didn't. And boy, did he pay for it. I mean, we got him, I got him on the stand there and I said, you're here as an expert for the, for the RCMP, as a marijuana expert. Is that correct? And he said, and, you know, regarding hemp. And he said, yes. I said, or er, he said, Mar- or regarding marijuana. And uh, he said, yes. I said, what do you know about hemp? Well, I don't know anything about hemp. And I looked at him and I said, You're a marijuana expert and you don't know that marijuana is hemp. And it was just one thing after another. I mean, he I asked him, I said, you know, do you think that cannabis is addictive? And he said, Oh yes, yes, I believe that it is that it's addictive. Of course the Canadian government had admitted before that it wasn't. And I asked him, you know, point blank, I said, Have you ever smoked cannabis? And he said, When well, I was surprised, he said, Yes. And when he said yes, I looked at him and I said, Did you become addicted? And he said, no, <laughs> <laughs> I just made a fool of this idiot. But, uh, so they got rid of him anyway. And then my, my my part of the trial was supposed to take place. So the judge asked me how I intended to proceed. And I told the judge, I said, you know, I said, I'm going to put the patients on the stand and then I'm going to put their doctors on right after them. And that way the doctors can't lie because the doctors didn't want, don't want this to come out because it's going to put a great number of them out of work and they know it. Mm. So uh, they wouldn't, they weren't there because they wanted to be there. I had to subpoena them in, but the patients came willingly. So the judge, all of a sudden, the judge looks at me and he said, uh, well, I can't allow them to testify. I said, what do you mean you can't allow them to testify? He said, well, this doesn't concern your case. And, of course, well, I mean, I come right out of the chair then. I was ready to go rip his head off. And I, and I looked at him and I said, you know, what the hell are you saying? I said, you know, these are the people I treated. These have these people have everything to do with my case, and you know it. So he turned around and he said, okay, I'll think about it overnight, and uh, I'll give you a decision in the morning. So next morning, come in, same thing. Not going to allow them. You know, I, I thought about it all night. There's no way I can allow this testimony. You know, I'm, I'm, you know and, but I still had all this evidence, you know, the scientific evidence. So then I wanted to introduce the scientific evidence. Oh, no, well, you can't introduce that because the people that wrote these papers aren't there. And I looked at him and I said, well, if that's the case, if the people that write, write these studies have to be here, then why aren't the people that wrote these stupid laws in this courtroom? You know, and he just looked at me, he didn't know what to say, but they, they just brush it aside. And uh, anyway, it, it just went on, you know, the, the nightmare continues. Um, but anyway, in the end, I was the only one that was allowed to testify in my behalf. So I did testify for like two hours on the stand and the comedy of it all, there was people sitting on that jury that I had treated some of their family members and cured them for nothing.
0: I was going to say that.
1: I was giving the oil away, you know, so I didn't think that I could be convicted of anything. So we left the, the court that day when the jury retired three hours later, we get a call that the jury has come up with their verdict. So we come back to the court, the, the courthouse and I like go into the courtroom and the, the the prosecutor, Monica McQueen from the Justice Department, she was there. But the Crown Prosecutor, Doug Shatford, he wasn't present. So I'm sitting there and two or three minutes goes by. And then finally in comes Shatford and he sits down. And then a minute or so later, the jury comes in. So I stood up and, you know, I, I, I had three charges, trafficking, uh, cultivation and possession. And all I heard was guilty, guilty, guilty. And I'm standing there looking at you know, guilty of what? You know, healing people? Is that really a crime in Canada? What the hell's wrong with you people? And they all left the courtroom with their heads right down. And then I turned on the judge right then, and I told the judge right, right there, I said, pal, I said, you might as well lock me up right now, because the minute I get out of here, I'm going to go back to treating them until I'm sentenced. The judge never said a word to me. I left the court, and that's exactly what I did. And uh, I don't know, just a damn nightmare. But, you know, in the, when the sentencing finally came in September, of course, or in February of 2008, that's when I was sentenced. But about two weeks before that, we released Run From The Cure. You know, Christian Lorette did a great job putting that together, and I think it had a lot to do with me not going to jail because that documentary made them very, very uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, you were, you're you going to put a guy in jail who cured cancer, and especially with the, now that the world's starting to know about it. So uh, when I went into that damn court, that judge sat there on the bench, and he said, he said, under different circumstances, Mr. Simpson would be winning awards for his work. But he said, this is a court of law, and we don't give out awards here. And then he sat there, and he said, in my 34 years in the legal system, I have never seen a case like this. There was no criminal intent. So what was I doing in their stupid courthouse? You know." And then, on top of that, he wouldn't allow the patients to testify, and he wouldn't allow the scientific evidence to, to be introduced. The next thing he says was the scientific evidence does exist to back up everything Mr. Simpson is saying, and he also has all of these patients, you know, that also back his position. Now, I forget what the Crown, they wanted to send me to jail, of course, the Crown did, but um, I, I was facing a possible 12 years in jail. Wow. They gave me a two, They gave me a $2,000 fine and a gun restriction, and the only reason I got the gun restriction, because in Canada, the minute you're convicted of trafficking, then it comes with an automatic gun restriction. So, I mean, it, it was just foolishness. But, I mean, I was really disheartened by that stage of the game, and uh, I, I started looking for other countries. I Maybe I could go and, you know, and carry on with the research and, you know, grow some more cannabis. But, uh, you know, I kept looking and looking. But the only problem was is, was like I said, the, the, the next day after court, you know, about 8 o'clock in the morning, you know, you get that knock, knock, knock on the door, and there's somebody standing there, you know, can you help me? Or they call you on the phone crying, you know. So I mean, what could I do? I I just went back and just kept going. So so actually, for the following almost two years, they left me alone. They didn't bother me. Uh, I mean, I did a bunch of things. I joined the Free Man in the Land movement and all that. And then in 2009, I was invited to the Czech Republic to do a speaking tour with Dr. Lemir Hanoosh, who's and uh, Dr. Hanoosh is one of the top experts in the world in this field. He he works at uh, Hebrew University directly with Dr. Michulin, who discovered THC, <laughs> you know. These he does are the top cancer guys. research? What's that?
0: It's cancer research.
1: Oh, they're doing a lot of research in Israel right now regarding cancer and this oil. But uh, but like I said, these are the top guys, you know, in, in this field. And um, so, we, you know, we did the speaking tour, and then I was invited back to come, come back at, uh, on the 20th of November back to Amsterdam uh, to attend the Cannabis Cup and give a lecture And they made me Freedom Fighter of the Year. So I, you know, I I finished the tour in Czech Republic. I came home for three weeks. I was busy, very busy during that time period because I had all these patients to catch up with. But I finally got everything caught up. And then I flew to, we flew to Amsterdam. And uh, then, you know, I I did the cup. But it was about, I think it was uh, the day before they made me Freedom Fighter of the Year, I got a call from my son. And he said that the the, the police had raided my house again while I was gone. (laughs) You know, what what is this? And then I got thinking about it, and I said, well, you know, there was nothing there. So, uh, you know, I I thought, you know, the police got to be going in there to try to frame me. Why else would they do this? And they knew, you know, they knew what I was doing. There was cannabis actually growing in my backyard in 2009. And they were out with their damn helicopters. They never come near. Now, my place was always the first place they used to come. This, in 2009, they never come near me. But do you we know could why? see the helicopters. We could see them just off in like three or 400 yards away flying around. But they, they didn't come and take the crop. Do you have any so idea I why they
0: were leaving you alone for that time period?
1: Well, I think it had something to do with that free man on the land movement. Because I, I had uh, sent all these papers into the government declaring myself a free man on the land. And uh, also I got some land grants under my name. You know, all the land surrounding my property, I, I got the, the old original grants under my name, too. And there was this huge bond. I had a $500 billion discharging and indemnity bond put in place. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure if that's any good or not. But but anyway, it, it kept the cops away for 2009.
0: I have a question for you about um, the, the whole free man on the land thing. Are yeah. um, Native American reservations, are they considered exempt from what the country's laws would be. Um, I don't know how that would be in the United States, but we're talking about Canada specifically here.
1: As far as I know, I think there's only one uh, Indian tribe or Indian nation that actually, I believe there is one, but I can't think of the name of it. But I, I, I believe they're in British Columbia. But I think they have the right to grow cannabis on their property and the government can't interfere because of the way the treaty was done up.
0: Right. That's what I was wondering. If, uh, if there's a, a loophole there that could be exploited for, for the benefit of all, really.
1: Well, I mean, I, I would certainly support, you know, uh, you know, I mean, I know what the white man did to the Indians. We all do, for God's sakes. So. Oh, of course. And uh, I, if I was, you know, if I was the leader or tribal leader or something like that, I would just tell, you know, the, the Canadian authorities to go suck an egg. And I'd start <laughs> growing that plant and start healing the, the people. I mean, they just have a lot of problem, you know, with with drugs, alcoholism and all this. And this plant would, would work miracles for them. Not to mention their own health—diabetes, cancer, all these diseases.
0: Well, I figure it'd be a mutually beneficial thing if we could look into how the um, how the laws do and don't affect uh, the the tribes, you know, in in the United States and in Canada.
1: Well, I, I know there's a lot of interest there, you know, in the Indian nations. There, there is a lot of interest in this, and I, I think there's some big things happening. Good, but it seems it, worth it's, pursuing. It's all going to come to a head in the next few months, I think, Jason. But anyway, uh, after this thing, like after the raid and all that, uh, well, I, I couldn't figure out what was going on. So then I got a hold of my son, and I made arrangements that I could go back to the Czech Republic because I'd, I planned to do that anyway. I'd do a few more lectures. So uh, after the cup, I went back to the Czech Republic, but then I got talking to my son, and uh, he started telling me about uh, the raid. And I said, well, what did you see? And he said, well, I went there, Dad. He said that none of them were in uniform, and he said they, they were, the cars were all unmarked. All black cars. And I said, well, that figures. <laughs> and uh, he said, "He said I asked him for, where's your search warrant? They didn't have a warrant. And, uh, you know, the, the whole thing was, was very freaky, he thought. And so a few days later, they did show him a warrant. But Mike said it was sworn. My son said it was sworn by some judge way down in Halifax. And he said it was to do with another property because the house color and everything was different. So they just used this warrant. Some, somehow or another, I think they thought they were going to get away with all this nonsense. But they just used this other warrant for another property, apparently, but I knew the corruption in the system in Canada. I mean, in a real legal system, if I had went back that that warrant, it would have all been thrown out of court. But I mean, I knew by that time that these idiots wrote to hang me. oh, yeah, so and if I went back, see i wouldn't I wouldn't have any access to my medication if I was put in jail. It's not going to jail that bothers me, but if i you know if I have to go to jail without with this without this oil, then it's going to be a very bad time for me. I can tell you that for sure.
0: That's understandable.
1: But anyway, uh, he told me, I I asked him, because there were things in there uh, about restricted, he said, uh, restricted weapons. I said, what restricted weapons? He said, you know, there's a pellet gun in the house. And he said, well, while you were gone, Dad, he said, I brought my crossbows down. He said, I was doing some shooting and I left them in the house. And I said, well, even at that time, right there in Amherst, you could go to the local stores and buy a, a crossbow with no firearm acquisition permit required store was openly openly selling them so i just thought you know there's no you know so there was no real restricted weapons in my home and then he said something about booby traps the police were claiming they had booby there was booby traps and i mean i had been raided four times this was the fourth time there was never any booby traps and i said what is this and he said, well, you remember before you left, there was a little bit of garbage on the deck in a couple bags. I said, yeah. I said, you were supposed to take it to the dump. Well, when he came back that day, he, he didn't have the dump with the landfill was closed. So he just took a couple of boards and he put nails in them so the bears wouldn't get into the dam to the garbage. And this is what the police were claiming were booby traps. And I said, you know, it was just pathetic. And then I heard this 70, they found 70 pounds of cannabis in my home. And I said, "What is this, Mike?" And he said, "Daddy said they went out. You know, like when I'm done washing the material, I always threw it on the back on the hillside, out in the back of the house. It's compost. There's hundreds, there's thousands of pounds of it out there if <laughs> you we actually went looking for it. <laughs> so this is where I threw it. And uh, they went out and they dug. They dug up 70 pounds of compost and put it in garbage bags, and that was their evidence. So I knew the whole thing was just a bunch of nonsense. And then shortly afterwards." I I did a radio show. I called into a radio show in Halifax, and uh, this announcer, he was right full of himself going on, you know, about the police, and, uh, you know, I'm making him sound like I was the, you know, Dr. Evil, the big bad criminal. Oh, of course. But uh, when he started blowing off at me, it didn't take me too damn long to straighten him out, so he started singing a different song pretty quick. But, uh, you know, it's just that the people are so misinformed, they're lied to, for God's sakes. But I knew at that point that there was no sense trying to come back to Canada. So I decided to stay in Europe and fight them from over here. You know, if I went back there, they'd just throw me in a jail cell, and that's probably where I'd end my days. But over here, I could still fight them.
0: Well, it looks so like they were going did. towards that anyway.
1: Well, yeah. But uh, and when, I, when I went back to the Czech Republic, I did more lectures, and then I started writing the book about this, which, which I brought out in 2012 uh but it really what I literally did I just went from country to country and kept spreading the truth but it was I was facing the same opposition over here like the mainstream media wouldn't cover you know wouldn't cover what I was doing and uh like I remember in in Prague in Czech in the Czech Republic there uh, the biggest newspaper in that country did a an hour and a half two hour interview with me the editor wouldn't let them print it but in 2010 was the first time I came to the Balkans I came to Croatia and, uh, and then 2011, I came back, uh, one of the activists contacted me, so I came back, and I was only here a day or two, and he looked at me, and he said, you want to go on national television? And I just looked at him, and I said, of course. So they turned around, and they made arrangements, and I did a, a show called The Edge of Science with uh, Krishmir Mishak. and it's one of the most popular TV shows in Croatia. Well, I guess it's one of the top three or four shows in the whole country. So I did that show with him. And uh, then I did, you know, lectures and seminars in uh, Opatia. And I actually did uh, a lecture right here at the university in, in Zagreb. And, uh, I mean, I just get up there and tell the people the truth. And, I mean, the, the, it's comical because, you know, the, the, they're always saying, like, where's the proof? And, you know, like, the, the simple proof is, is, is all you have to do is look at me on that stage. There's your proof. I mean, if I was telling a pack of lies, wouldn't the medical system get up and defrock me? Wouldn't yes. these learned doctors get right up on that stage and make a fool of me? And do you want to know why they don't do it? I'll tell you why. Because they don't follow their own damn Hippocratic oath, and they know it. And that's the first thing I'd throw at them. Because all, they, all, the, all the doctors are good at is poisoning people. You know, what a, what a wonderful form of medicine. Jesus, unbelievable. So that all the doctors are scared to death of me. They won't come near me. You know, as a matter of fact, I was in the Czech Republic when we were doing the tour with Dr. Hanusch. I spoke at one of the oldest medical schools in, in uh, Europe. And uh, when Dr. Hanusch finished, then I spoke. And when I came down off that stage, this young medical student walked up to me and she said, you're calling doctors murderers. <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, well, if I give somebody enough poison that it kills them, I said, what would you call me? And I said, does it make some kind of difference because you're wearing a white coat? And she got mad.
0: Oh, I'm and sure. She said,
1: you know, the medical faculty of this university wants you back here on the 26th of this month, and they're going to set you straight. And I looked at her and I said, listen, little girl, you get every doctor in the Czech Republic here on the 26th of this month, and we'll see who gets set straight. And uh, so the, the people that were putting on the tour, see, they overheard what i had said. And then they got all excited. You know, the university, the medical school is going to take you on. You, you know, the news media will get involved and in all this. And I just stood there and laughed at them. And they said, well, what's so funny? I said, nobody's going to take me on. I said, they got nothing to take me on with. I'm the only one telling the truth. Right. Three days later, the university called up and canceled. They <laughs> said that their students had no interest. Now, can you imagine, you know, the most medicinal plant on earth, uh, uh, something that's been used in medicine for thousands of years, you know, and the, the, the medical students have no interest. I don't really believe that one.
0: Right, Drake, I mean, there, there was the, no way they were going to let you get get up, you know, with – the establishment and then just rip them to shreds.
1: Well, I mean, somebody's got to do it, brother. No, I mean, you know, I, uh,
0: yeah, you have to. What I'm saying is that, that they're not going to allow that to happen because they know they're wrong.
1: Oh yeah, you're damn right. They know they're wrong. I mean, you, you mean, I, look at these oncologists today, you know, like, I think it's something like to the tune of around 90% of oncologists will not, if they had cancer, they would not take their own treatments. They know they're, they, they know they're ineffective and they actually know that they're killing people. But they're making a lot of money doing it, aren't they?
0: Tens of billions of dollars a year.
1: You know, I, don't, I just don't understand what the public... How did they ever pump it into the public's head that poison and radiation is good for you? I mean, that's lunacy, for God's sakes. You ask a 10-year-old kid that question. Is, is poison and radiation good for you? Instantly. A 10-year-old would say no. Now ask, a, now ask a medical school student the same question. Oh, we need to use this to treat you effectively. No, you need to use this to kill us effectively. That's what you're doing. You know, it, It's beyond belief. And the people walk around in this stupor. You know, like, because we're all brainwashed by that damn boob tube. You know, trust your doctor, trust your lawyer, trust the police, trust your government.
0: Believe in the well, establishment.
1: You put, any, you, you put any trust in these people, you're going to find yourself in a lot of trouble.
0: I can tell you personally that, that everyone is, well, not everyone, but the vast majority are brainwashed because I've told several people about uh, using the oil and they just came up with excuses. Like, no, well, my mom wants to try it this way, even though I know that's right, I've heard that. It's just every excuse under the sun, it's like, so you'd rather use the method that you know kills compared to the method that there's scientific evidence that fixes it. That doesn't even make sense.
1: Well, I mean, Jason, in 2004, my neighbor and I, we put up that website, phoenixtears.ca. We told everybody back then how to heal themselves. We told them... You know, get the heavy sedative indica strains to make the oil. We told, give them the dosage instructions. It's been all, it's been there for uh, 10 years now. You know, so the information was out there. And see, why they can't defeat this, and I, I do this all the time when I do lectures. You know, I'll tell the audience, like, don't believe a word I'm saying. Simply go out, get get your hands on about 30 grams of decent, you know, good cannabis bud, preferably indica and produce the oil following our instructions, which are available on the Internet. Take that finished oil, go out and find somebody with a third-degree burn, psoriasis, skin cancer, or something of that nature. Put the oil on, put a bandage on, and change it every three days. Watch what happens. Anybody can prove it. You know, I mean, this oil can work miracles. Third-degree burns. I mean, when I first made my oil in 1999, see, I was under the effects of all of those pharmaceuticals. And uh, I mean, I wasn't thinking right at all. And uh, I can't call it carelessness. It was just because of the effects of these medications. I caught myself on fire, and I mean, I I got a, I had a severe burn, and I mean, severe burn on my right hand. Uh, There was two big gobs hanging, and it just looked like about three quarters of my hand melted. Wow. So I, you know, this was horrible. So I, I didn't know what to do, and I didn't know you know, the healing powers or anything. And, of course, my mind was all muddled up with these damn chemicals the doctors were giving me. So I put it in a, in a, a bucket of cold water. And uh, about a few hours later, a girlfriend come down, and uh, she I pulled my hand out. She just went and got the scissors and cut the gobs off. because you, you don't feel it because it's all dead. Right. So four or five days later, she looked at me and she said, you know, Rick, she said, you know, you've got to go to a doctor about this. No, I didn't, you know, by that point, I didn't have much use for doctors anyway. I was losing faith fast. But anyway, I went into the doctor, and doctor looked at my hand, and the minute he looked at it, he said, when did you do this? And I said, four or five days ago. My God, man, there's nothing I can do with that. You you have third-degree burns. And he didn't put anything on my hand. He just took a, a, a piece of gauze, and he wrapped my hand up. And he said, I want you to come back in seven days, and we're going to look and doing skin grafts and all this from your back and all these operations and things. And so I, I don't know, still in that chemical stupor from the pharmaceuticals. I go home and well, I, the, you know, when I tried to make the oil, I really fumbled the ball. So I went and tried to do it again. Well, in no time I had that bandage covered in the oil solvent mix. And after about three or four days, I mean, it was so the, the bandage got so ugly. I just took it off and threw it away. But what was amazing is I didn't even realize it myself, what was happening. And so seven days later, I go back to this doctor's office. And when I put my hand out, his eyes got as big as two saucers. <laughs> and he, he looked at me and he said, seven days ago, you had third degree burns. He said, today, all you have is pink skin. And even the hair follicles grew back. Everything. There's not, not a scar in my hand from that horrible burn. Wow. Now, now I, you, knew, you know, when you look at these burn units today, take a child or anyone that's been in a house fire, or severe burns, look at the agony the medical system puts them through. Oh, yeah. You, know, you lay there for months and you're, and you're subject to infections and all these operations. And in the end, you always wind up scarred to death anyway. Yep. You know, if, if this oil can regrow my hand, which it did, could this oil regrow a child's face? And I firmly believe it will. You know, I mean, so I look at everything basically the medical system is doing. It's just forms of torture, for God's sakes. They're not using any logic. And you take that oil if you have a severe burn, I mean a bad, bad burn, you slap that oil on it, two minutes, pain's gone. You don't even feel it, and it heals in no time. So why aren't we using this in the burn units? But anyway, I, I stayed in Europe, and I went from country to country, and I made a lot of noise over here. And now, you know, that, now that, you know, we've done all these lectures and things, and lately I've been doing a lot of talks with some of the top experts in the world again, you know, Dr. Hanush uh, and I and uh, Dr. Hornby from Canada, Dr. Malamid from the United States, uh, we, were, we were all involved in a big conference in Ljubljana in March. And then just uh, here last, uh, last month, we were in Belgrade or in Serbia and we were in Skopje in Macedonia. And we did the big events there too. And uh, I mean, this, all of Europe is waking up to this now. I mean, we, when we went to Macedonia, 70% of people, were against the medicinal use of this plant. Four days later when we left, 70% were in favor. So she's changing very quickly. <laughs> Good. <laughs> and from what I understand now, uh, like over half the people, in, from when I here in, in Slovenia, over half the cancer patients now are using the oil. And vast numbers right here in Croatia are using it. it. It's It's busting loose everywhere. And all these countries now are legalizing the medicinal use. And I almost have to laugh at it in a way because, you know, that – They've been, you know, the hemp movement's been out there blowing smoke in people's faces for decades, and they got nowhere. The bottom line is the reason these countries are legalizing the medicinal use of cannabis is that oil. Because they know what's going on, and they know how many people there's. like, there's millions worldwide now that have used this substance very successfully. So they know what's coming. But the, the trouble is with the government, you see, they want it, they want their buddies, you know, their, their, the money masters, you know, the pharmaceutical industry. They want them to control it. Well, the pharmaceutical industry are the very damn people that should have nothing to do with this medicine. That's right. I mean, you, you have to know the story. But when you look back in the medical use of this plant in the 1800s and 1900s, early 1900s, get one of the old pharmacopias and look at it. It's wall-to-wall hemp. They used hemp and practically everything they produced as an ingredient, and they also turned around and they used to sell it uh, cannabis tinctures, you know, uh, the, the oil mixed with alcohol. E. I. Lilly sold hash pills in the 1880s as painkillers, and some forms of hash are wonderful painkillers, so I have no doubt they worked. But they always controlled the potency. But where the shoe really pinched is when I realized I, I figure they've known how to cure cancer for at least 150 years. And I say that because in the, in and you should say around say 1860. Now I mean, all these companies were getting involved with hemp medicine. Now back in that era, it, most com- most of these pharmaceutical companies they were producing the essential oils from different plants and making them available to the public as a medicine. Well, it only makes sense when you look at the history of cannabis. Well, of course you're go- you're going to make the essential oil from the most medicinal plant, aren't you? Of course. But when I got looking into it, I've never found any pharmaceutical company that ever supplied the essential oil from the plant. They supplied watered down forms of the medicine. And I honestly think that they probably did a little testing maybe in the 1850s or early 1860s and suddenly realized we got a cure all here. And probably about that same time, they also realized that if the truth gets out about this, we're out of business because every farmer in North America was allowed to grow it. Right. See, so then in the eighth round, eighteen eighties, eighteen nineties, they started thinking about, well, if we mix chemicals together, you no know, chemical combinations, we can patent that. And then in nineteen oh six, John D. Rockefeller, I think everybody knows who he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, him and all his rich friends, they got together and they they started forming these medical foundations. Yep. You well, know, you know what saintly people, and of course. <laughs> These medical foundations, in turn, took over the medical schools. And what they did, the old medicine, medicine from plants, empirical medicine, they shoved it right out the back door. And then they started producing all of this crap because, I mean, Rockefeller's buddies, they were the ones that owned the chemical factories that produced all these toxins that they couldn't get rid of. Now, what could you do? Now, why don't we make this available as a medicine and give it to the public? And that's what they did.
0: Here's the thing, though. This is not conspiracy theory. This is all historical fact. This is easy to find. You can look up. This is what happened.
1: Oh, exactly. You know, and then that idiot Anslinger come along, you know, the head of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. You know, well, after the end of Prohibition, they needed another target. So, you know, Anslinger was out to make a big name for himself. So he he targeted cannabis. But, of course, William Randolph Hearst also did the same because uh, in his public in the Hearst Publications, they told us that cannabis was the most dangerous and deadly you know, drug available and you know, it was the most self-destructive thing you could do to smoke a joint. It was unbelievable some of the, the propaganda that they spread.
0: Wasn't that all coming down from the Rockefellers though because they knew the reality of everything and they had uh, cotton fields and, and trees and everything and they wanted to use that for industry and so they, they decided to wipe hemp out basically.
1: Well, that was part of it. There's no question. I mean, you know, you know most of the, what does they say? Over 50% of the pesticides used on this planet are used to grow cotton. And, can, and, and cannabis or hemp is much stronger, much better. You don't need any, you don't need any pesticides. You know, you don't, you don't poison the planet by growing this plant. Right. But when you start growing massive amounts of co- cotton, you're doing a lot of harm to this planet. But that's what all these big money concerns are about. You know, they gave us nuclear energy. You know, I mean, what idiot builds nuclear power plants right down next to the ocean in an earthquake zone? <laughs> you have to be a fool. And then you look at, you know, the, the, look in the United States. Look, look at the different power plants and where they're located. Some of them are right, right on fault lines, for God's sakes. A lot of them are. Yeah. <laughs> you know, none of this is making any sense. And then you go down, you look at the Gulf, oh, the Gulf oil spill, you know, and how that affected everything. I mean, we're killing this planet. We, we've done more damage to this planet in the last hundred years than we've done in all human history combined. And it's all been done just for greed. The cannabis plant could provi- can provide our energy. It can, provide, it can make it so we'll never have to worry about starvation again. It gives us the greatest medicine on Earth. Over 50,000 different things can be created from that plant. We can put people back on the land. We can basically end unemployment with this plant. Give everybody a job. You know, in earth-friendly, hemp-based industries, change this world. Get away from these toxic industries that we allow, you know, to poison our environment. Let's start doing things in a rational way. So, I mean, this is what I've been pushing for for so long and so hard. But it's been, uh, I don't know, when I look at it now, I I mean, I lost my country. I lost my life. I I mean, I'll I'll never live in Canada again, I don't think. I, I just don't feel the same about Canada anymore. Uh, it's a beautiful country, and there's some very nice people in Canada, but the whole damn country is run by nothing but a pack of thieves. And I, I could never live under you know under that type of regime again. And as far as I'm concerned, United States is every bit as bad, if not worse.
0: Oh, absolutely. You know? No, I mean we we all know that. all of us that are that are awake to this. We we know that's what's going on.
1: Well, you know you. The way I look at, you know, like people are going on, oh, well, you know, we'll we'll pay tax. We'll, we'll let marijuana pay the bill, you know, so, you know, tax it and regulate it. Well, I don't feel that anyone has the right to tax it or regulate it. And as far as I'm concerned, if you want to go out and grow 10,000 hemp plants in your backyard, I couldn't care less. As a matter of fact, if it was done that way, you know, I mean, people going, oh, you know, there's big crime and big money involved here. Cannabis all through history was a farm crop. Now, if you take a – I did this on an interview years ago one time. uh, I was doing a a show called Feet to the Fire with uh, James Arthur Jancic in Chicago. And he said to me, he said, you're talking about medicine, you know, on a donation basis. He said, how could you do that? And I said, okay. I said, take a a field, a 100-acre field of corn. I said, now what's a pound of corn worth? Well, he said, hardly anything. I said, okay, take the field next to it, another 100 acres, plant it in hemp. Now, what's a pound of hemp worth? You know, it's just these idiotic laws that we've allowed them to enforce. That's the reason the cost, you know, is so high. If everyone was allowed to grow this, you could buy a kilo of top-grade cannabis bud for 10 bucks, for God's sakes. It's all a racket, and it's all caused by the government. You know, the governments themselves. I have no problem with outlawing things that are harmful or dangerous. Yes, that, that makes sense. But when you outlaw a plant like this that has this history... I mean, how dare you? These people are traitors to their own countries. They're they're traitors to their countrymen. You know, they've literally gone along with the big money to kill people. You know, and and the the medical system, the doctors, I mean, in a way, I look at this today, I don't actually blame them as badly. I used to, like, hate politicians, doctors, policemen, lawyers, all of them, because I knew they were all corrupted to the core. But we're just as much to blame as they are. You know, we've sat here and we've watched them tear our world apart. And what have we done about it? You know, we go along with it. You know, and common sense dictates that, you know, we should have stood up for ourselves a long time ago. Absolutely. So I'm just looking at everything right now and just saying, okay, you know, it's perfectly obvious that mankind can be easily manipulated. And, I mean, these these people have literally, literally led us down the garden path. But now we know the truth. So what I'm asking governments to do now, grow up, Start representing your people. Repeal the laws against this plant. Throw them in a trash can because they're all based in corruption anyway. They are not real laws. They never have been. Get rid of it. You know, and start, like I said, take care of your people. That is your – I I had to laugh. I I was doing an interview in Slovenia, and uh, this this, uh, newspaper guy said to me, he said, well, you know, we have agreements with the European Union and the United Nations. You know, so that prevents us from doing this – I looked at him and I said, would I be wrong in stating that any government's first responsibility is the health and well-being of their own people? And he just looked at me stupid. I said, to hell with your agreements with the United Nations and the EU. Take care of the people first. I mean, the United Nations is the same thing. It's just a bunch of crooks. They're all run the same thing, run by the big money. Right. You know, the, it's just idiotic what's going on here. But people have been so badly brainwashed about this subject. And, and, you know, I have to laugh at people. You know, they'll go take poison, which is chemotherapy, watch their hair fall out and all of it. But they're scared they might get high on pot. <laughs> My God. Uh, you know, and that was a, like a, a 1975 after that Virginia study. Uh, Gerald Ford took over because they impeached Nixon. Gerald Ford took over. And he confiscated all the medical research he could from the universities in the United States regarding cannabis. He then passed it all back to the pharmaceutical industry. Because those warm-hearted people in the pharmaceutical industry, they wanted to take the high out of this medicine. You know, so people could use it. Did you ever hear a pile of crap like that in your life? I mean, look at the garbage. You know, Oxycontin, Percocets, and all the other trash. Hydromorphine. Everything they give us. All dangerous, deadly, addictive, but there were – and, of course, on top of that, you can get as high as a kite on this stock. Oh, yes. But there were – you know, what a lame excuse. I mean, that's the reason they said they they needed to produce the synthetic cannabinoids. Well, they've done that. They've got Drabinol, Marinol. There's three or four of these stupid things out there. And from what I understand, the synthetic cannabinoids produced by the pharmaceutical industry are only effective for about 13% of people, and they come with some nasty side effects. As a matter of fact, I heard that one patient even died from them. Wow! Nobody nobody dies from the natural cannabinoids on the plant itself. And why do we have to make synthetic cannabinoids when these when the plant itself can provide the the real thing?
0: So they can patent it and make money.
1: Of course, back to patents again. Uh-huh. To hell with the people. Let them die. You know, as long as we make the money, it doesn't matter. You know this. This is how sick this world has become, and. You know, I came from a different time. I was born in 1949, and I remember when people used to be half honest. But today, our, our world is falling apart. I mean, people are drug addicted. Everywhere you look, people are hooked on pharmaceuticals. And I always laughed at that statement they made about cannabis you know, oh, you know, you have to stay away from cannabis and keep your children away from it because of the gateway effect. You know, as much as tell you, if you smoke a joint this week, next week you'll be shooting heroin in your arm.
0: Right, which is That's the
1: rubbish. biggest pile of nonsense I ever heard. But I do agree with the statement that it is a gateway drug. But it doesn't lead it doesn't lead you to addictions. It leads you away from them. It's a gateway back. And I mean, we're, we've treated uh, hundreds and hundreds of people, you know, with terminal cancers that were taking hydromorphine and stuff. They were addicted to this trash for months or months months. And of course, they were dying usually within a week and a half, two weeks, we can get them off the morphine or hydromorphine. Oh really and they go through a, a lot oh yeah, they go through a lot less withdrawal symptoms, and this holds true for practically anything even I mean I even had a lot of patients that came to me who were quite heavy drinkers, you know, and they'd get cancer, and I had quite a few of them at the end of the three month treatment. they didn't drink anymore. you know so it, it really is it's wonderful for breaking addictions. And it's so badly needed right now because we do. We live in a drug-addicted society. And I I hate these lame brain things. Oh, you know, well, if you've got cannabis in your system, you're impaired and, you you know, you should lose your driver's license. That's the biggest bunch of bunk I've ever heard. (laughs) I mean, back in the the 80s when I first – see, I was 35 years old before I even started smoking cannabis. And I bought a great big motorcycle at that time, a V65 Honda Magna. 120 horsepower, you know, quite a machine, believe me. But a big bike like that and alcohol do not mix. Oh, no. So, so I began smoking cannabis. And I, I drove that bike tens of thousands of miles under the influence of cannabis. Never had a problem. I got on that bike one night after I drank five beer. And I almost killed myself right in my own yard. You know, that's, that's what, you know, nothing will show you any faster than a motorcycle if your motor skills are not working properly. And uh, I mean, my motor, your motor skills are not, once you're used to cannabis or use of it as a medicine, your motor skills are not impaired. You can drive normally. As a matter of fact, the, the research that I've read states that basically people that actually take cannabis, drive more carefully and more slowly. <laughs> and uh, I have to say this, brother, but I honestly think if everybody on this planet get up tomorrow morning and lit a joint, it would be a better world.
0: That's a great statement.
1: Well, I mean, I watched what they did. I mean, my father was an excellent driver all his life, and then, uh, let's see, he was about 70 years old, and he had some problems with his hip, and I was 69, that's right, and he had uh, a bad hip, and they they took him into physiotherapy, tortured him for three months, got him addicted to Tylenol 3. Well, I didn't know what was going on, and uh, well, finally, they gave him a hip transplant, and then dad was okay after that, but... When you go out to get in the car, I I was scared to death to get in the car with him. He didn't, he seemed like he was in another world, you know, and I thought, well, you know, he's getting older and things like that, but it took two or three years, but I finally found out he was taking about 16 Tylenol threes a day. Wow. You know, and I mean, how many people are out there on the streets driving under the influence of these painkillers and antidepressants and all this other garbage and that same cop that'll stop you and want to take your license because you've got cannabis in your system. What's he got in his system? Chances are they're full of you know, the, the painkillers and stuff themselves. So it's, it's just ludicrous, but you know, I, I don't care. I don't care who, who t- tries to tell me otherwise. I mean, I know I've been eating this oil now for well over 13 years. I know the effects of it. I am not impaired in any way, shape or form. It doesn't, and the use of cannabis. Well, obviously, you've been listening to me now for quite some time. Do you think the use of cannabis rots your mind?
0: Uh, No, you're quite articulate and passionate. (laughs) Yes,
1: and and I've seen this in many other people too. I mean, not not everyone that takes uh, this this medication changes, but I have seen you know changes that were quite noticeable in people. They became, I don't know, more aware, more concerned. You know, they used logic more instead of just being led around by the nose. And another thing I ran across here a while ago too—they they tell me that if you're smoking, if you're a cannabis smoker, you can't be hypnotized. <laughs> That's interesting.
0: That is interesting. I've never heard that one.
1: Yeah, I just got run into that here about a year ago. But when I thought about it, it made you know—it breaks the spell, it breaks the illusion. And you know, like I said, all people have to do—they only they go on. They, they say you know, all you know, you people that talk this way, you're conspiracy nuts. <clears throat> Well, anybody that thinks that there isn't one big, huge conspiracy against us all, then they're not awake. I mean, it's like I said, who do they think runs this planet? The main family, actually, that runs it is called Rothschild. And as I understand it, that one family is worth, supposed to be worth over 500 trillion, not billion, trillion dollars. They have enough money to feed, house, and clothe every human being on Earth. Now, should any one family have that kind of power? And then you've got the Rothschilds, the Warburgs, and all these all, all these other banking, big banking families. But the Rothschilds, are, they're the ones that, that I think are the real villains here, And you know, for the most part. As a matter of fact, the, the president of Russia here... Uh, Putin here just a few months ago. He came out and he said, "If you want to see peace on this world, kill the Rothschilds." Really? <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, I'd I'd have to agree with him because if you look into the history of that family, they have for the last two hundred years they have funded every major conflict on this planet. That's true. And they funded both sides. That's both what they sides.
0: always do. All the way back in right. the eighteen hundreds.
1: So all those people that went and fought for the flag and all that blood and guts—it was for nothing. These families wanted these wars. They wanted them to happen so they could make big profit. I mean, look back at look at Hitler. Who do you think funded him? Check into it.
0: Oh, I, I know. <laughs>
1: you know, they, but, you know, like the news media, I, I'm so disgusted with the news media. As a matter of fact, I have no intentions of doing any, any interviews with any, now that this is all coming out. I know, like CNN, they've known about me for 10 years. You know, Fox News, all those idiots in the States. I will not do interviews with any of them, you know, because as far as I'm concerned, they, they're they involved in this right up to their necks. They have kept the truth back from the public. I mean, I'll do, you know, I'll do things on the Internet or I'll do interviews over here in Europe, you know, where I where I was welcomed, you know. But as far as I'm concerned, these people have been lying for a decade now and they haven't done anything. They're in bed with, the, you know, with the with the government's. It's all under the control of the rich elite because we all know who owns the news media too, don't we?
0: Oh yeah, all major media is under control of about five corporations and then you got to look who owns those. It's the same people own the Federal Reserve and all the central banks and it's, it's so, all... You just go up the pyramid and you start realizing that this one controls this one and then they control all that one and then you realize it goes back to these uh, old, old world, old money families.
1: Oh yes. Well, there's, there's something... I'd like to warn people right now. I mean... This oil that I brought to the public's attention, it's, it really is a miracle medicine. Uh, but you see, with me, I used to mix, a lot of the time I, in the oils that I produced, I used to mix the oils from several different strains to get more of a blanket effect. You know, practically all the heavy indica strains are very effective in the treatment of cancer, but some are better as a painkiller than others, or some are better at lowering ocular pressure for glaucoma patients, or for lowering blood sugar for diabetics. You know, like I've always said this, this is a plant with, with, with a thousand medical profiles. But it's a very simple thing to perfect this if we just had the freedom to go ahead and do it. You know, that's the problem. But it, it wasn't me that called, to put the name on it, Rick Simpson Oil. That, that was Jack Harris doing. The, ex, the last leader of the, of the hemp movement. Jack started calling it uh, Rick Simpson Oil. And uh, matter of fact, I was mad at Jack over it. I, I told him, I said, you know, why are you sticking my name on this? You know, It's <laughs> hemp oil. But then Jack came right back at me and he said, well, aren't you Rick Simpson? You couldn't argue with Jack Harry. I loved the man. He was the, <laughs> he was the greatest leader the movement ever had. But uh, but the only thing is, is that opened the door. And then everybody started producing the Rick Simpson oil.
0: Well, the good thing about that, Rick, is that there's now a name and a face to attach to it. I mean, yes, it's hemp oil, obviously. It has to come from somewhere. But having your name attached to it and you're the one out there doing all this, I think that helps people um, – really have something to, to uh, attach to. It's like, see, this is this fellow out there doing this. This is, this is a real thing.
1: Oh, definitely real. But, but the problem is, I mean, there are people out there that are supplying high-grade oils and they're, and, they're, and they're producing them properly and they're having wonderful results. But there's also a great number of people out there that are making low-quality trash. They're attaching my name to it. Some of these people even claim that I'm directly affiliated with their operations, well, I want the public to know I have nothing to do with anyone associated in, in, you know, in producing oil or supplying it. I, I've told the public right from the beginning, it's best to, to make your own oil. If you want the real thing, that's the only way you know for sure. There's no quality control. There's no standards in place. When you go out and buy these oils, you have no idea what you're getting. Right. But if you go, if you go buy a pound of good indica bud and you produce the oil following my instructions, you know what you have then. You have the real thing.
0: So the statement well, is you put out the techniques, you just don't put out a product.
1: Well, I'm not in a position to put out a product. <laughs> you know, I've been traveling. I've been in about 25 different countries in the last five years.
0: <laughs> well, that too. But I'm just saying so that people understand what you just said. People are attaching your name to it, probably to use it as an advertising you know, trick. Oh,
1: yeah. It, well, it gives it gives the patient's confidence in the oil they're, they're, that they're buying. But then in no time, I, I get this all the time. I'll get emails from these people. I, I, I bought your oil from someone. And it doesn't have the effects that you describe on your site. Well, of course it doesn't have the effects because it's not the real oil. Right. But they, these people actually think that I'm directly involved with these idiots. And <sighs> I have nothing to do with them. You know, I, I I did this for the people. I wanted the people to know how to heal themselves. I gave it to them for nothing. I didn't ask for anything in return. But a lot of people now are trying to cash in on my name. And it and it truly disgusts me.
0: That's typical, you know, I mean... That's what always happens. I hear so many commercials of people trying to take advantage of every aspect of the truth movement. You know, I hate to say it, but I, I, I listen to commercials even on uh, the Genesis Communications Network, and it sounds like some of these people are just scamming.
1: Oh, they are. I mean the pharmaceutical industry has been – actually, they've been trying to court me too. Well, here in just a few months ago, I was offered $3 million. You know, if I would collaborate with them.
0: I'm surprised they haven't offered you more to shut you up completely. Like you always hear these stories about people inventing carburetors or this or that that can get massive gas mileage. And, of course, they buy it and shut it up, you know.
1: Well, I mean, I just told them point blank. I I will not cooperate with the pharmaceutical industry. This medicine belongs to the people and no one else. And the faster the people realize that and we rid ourselves of these maggots because that's what these companies are. I mean, uh, one of the worst examples I've seen of this. I, one day back home, uh, well, a fellow I would known for years, a pharmacist, you know, and I knew this guy really well, and uh, he started his own pharmacy. Well, I used to buy all the syringes. I used to put the oil in from, from him. And then one day I walked in there, and I said, and I held up a tube of the oil, and I said, what have you got in this store that even begins to compare to the healing power that this stuff has? <laughs> he knew what I had in my hand. And he looked at me, and he said, Rick, he said, over half of it is just fluff. And I said, yes, and I said, and the rest of it's just a bunch of poison-addictive trash. He never even tried to defend himself. He just stood there and looked at me, and he said, Rick, in a world where 9-11 can happen, what do you expect? Now, here's a pharmacist sitting in a small town poisoning his friends and neighbors knowingly every day, and he still thinks of himself as being a decent man. I've got a little bit of problem with that, don't you?
0: Yes, and that's exactly the problem. People the- – I think what it comes down to is people as individuals think oh I can't do anything I'm just one person they don't realize that with the mass technology we have today for communications things could change but you just have to want to everyone has to collaborate together they have to decide they want to change and then start doing it
1: oh yeah I mean you've got to force the issue and I mean I was in a very delicate situation when I started this because you know back at that time I don't know it was all so simple and I just thought well you know, curing cancer. If this is all there is to it. You know, and I knew people had been making oils, all these different oils, for decades. And I said, well, there got to be thousands, of, you know, people, you know, all around the planet and on the internet or something. And then, in just a few months, I found out that I was all alone. There was nobody doing anything. And I look back on it now, and, and I often think that if I hadn't have made this noise that I have, where would be, where would be, you know, we be right now in regards to the use of this medicine? I mean, I just looked at it when when I stumbled onto the truth and realized what this substance could do. I mean, I've got three children and I've got three grandchildren, and I wanna I want to see a future for them. Of course. But if we don't have this plan, our children don't have a future. You know, it's over. I, you know, I'm, at the rate we're going right now, I give us maybe at the most 20 more years if we're lucky, and then we're all going to go extinct because we cannot live on a poison planet.
0: That's right. Well, the self self-serving. Uh, society we live in that the corporations just keep feeding into because not only are we buying their products we're making them for them it's it's just all we're doing is feeding the rich and that's it
1: we're the mice we're the mice on the treadmill right you know I, they they have the whole uh, the whole world i mean it's not just in the united states and canada it's, it's here in europe i mean the big money spread their tentacles everywhere across this planet you know i i did i had a meeting with the one of the advisors to the minister of health here in croatia in 2012 I went in and I laughed I I came through the door and first thing she said it's addictive like that and I looked at her and I said dear all through history cannabis has always been known to be non-addictive I said even the Canadian government admitted back in 2000 that there is no addiction to cannabis and then she looked at me she said well it killed someone and she had a computer right on her desk and I pointed at the computer I said show me and that's when she said oh well it was a synthetic cannabinoid you know, produced by the pharmaceutical industry that killed this person. I said, well, I'm not surprised, but nobody (laughs) dies. Nobody dies from the natural plant. And uh, then I looked at her and I said, you don't even know why you have this law in place, do you? And she got this funny look on her face. And I I said, was there a, did, you know, did they ever do a study in Croatia to determine the terrible effects of this plant? I said, no, there was never any study. I said, the big money came in here and made a deal with your government Your government complied, outlawed hemp, and they got a bunch of money in their back pocket to go do something else. That's what it was all about. But when they outlawed hemp, they made the biggest mistake they ever made. You know, I mean, people are suffering and dying now. Even the nutritional value of this plant is beyond belief. It's one of the probably the most nutritious food, the hemp seeds, probably one of the most nutritious foods on this planet. And anybody that knows about anything about cannabis, if you want to see prolific seeds, just, you know, plant a few acres of hemp. Don't take the males out and watch what happens. You'll have so many seeds you won't know, you will not know what to do with them. And another thing today, there's new processes out. Uh, the old scale, you could produce about 500 gallons of ethanol off an acre of cannabis, which would equal around 4,200 square meters. An acre is only small. But under these new processes they have now, they're using enzymes and things. They're getting 1,800 gallons of ethanol per acre. You know, I mean, that's enough. If if you grow one little acre uh, in your property of, of, of cannabis, you've got enough energy there to run your car, heat your house, and have a few hundred gallons left over. You're energy independent. That's something else they don't want.
0: Oh goodness no.
1: No, these, these are all facts. They're all proven. The energy providers will always say, "Oh, you know, uh, well, if you know, if we grew cannabis, it would eat up all our valuable farmland." <laughs>
0: you know,
1: what a crock that is! You know, I mean, when farmers are growing cannabis, they're not only growing, you know, a food source; they're growing also an energy source, a source of medicine, and and traditionally in farming, cannabis was always used as as a as a feed for livestock. It kept the animals healthy. Today, all they do is shove them full of growth hormones and antibiotics and all this other trash. And we all know that the meat in North America, none of it is fit to eat. We all know that. It's a fact. Matter of fact, if you walk into a grocery store anywhere in North America, I doubt if you can find anything that's safe to eat. That's the fruits and vegetables, all of it. I'm scared to death when I go to Canada.
0: Oh, it's definitely gotten bad.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, it's just that cannabis is the ultimate answer. And the longer we run from the truth, and try to, you know, and and not use this plant, the harder it's going to be on all of us. You know, we need this plant growing, just like Jack Harris said, grow it everywhere, use it for everything. And Jack always said, he said, I, I don't know if cannabis will save the world, but I do know it's the only thing that can.
0: So what do you recommend everybody to do? You You are obviously doing an absolute immense service to humanity, but you're still only one person, and we need to take your message and spread it what would you recommend the individual to do?
1: Well, you know, there are a lot of people now. I'm not the only one in this, believe me. I mean, I consider myself really, I'm just the messenger. That's all I am. You see, well, it works all the miracles. But I, I think people have to realize the situation we're in and realize that there's no future for their own children if they don't band together and do something. I would hope that we could do this without violence. You know, there's millions of us. every one of these rich banking families I mean all we have to do is stand as one and say look we've we've had enough of your manipulation and we're we're done dying for you you know it's over and this is what we have to do we have to get legitimate governments to represent us not these political parties we have today you know I mean all political parties have ever done is breed corruption and they do it in a big way believe me every political party is corrupted so we need independent people People to represent us honestly, you know, and open open book policy, open door, nothing hidden. You know, if you want to see the books, you just walk in, you know what's going on. And, you know, if we run a government that way, as a matter of fact, I would like to see governments, not governments so much. I would like to see think tanks, get the brightest and best among us, put them, you know, say two of the best in fishery, two of the best in forestry, two of the best in medicine and so on. Put these people in a think tank. And let them run the country, the business of the day, you know, the day to day running of the country. Let them do it honestly and openly with an open book policy. And another thing I've said before I don't think cannabis should be paying the bill. I don't think anybody should pay tax on cannabis. I mean, to me, that's ridiculous. Why don't we just take the money away from the people that stole it?
0: That's a brilliant idea.
1: Well, if, you know, I mean, you, you, in the court systems we have in North America, the admiralty courts, which as far as I'm concerned, aren't even real. If You you, you take these people into common law courts, and I'm not saying to put them in jail. I mean, I, I look at these rich people as being sick. Maybe they need a couple treatments of oil themselves. It might make them better human beings. But make them admit their guilt. Take the resources and money away from them. Because all everything that these people have, they're, they're all the proceeds of crimes that they've committed against us. I mean, if I rob a bank, they don't let me keep the money.
0: <laughs> you own the bank. That's how you do it.
1: Well, you know, the way I look at it, like I said, take the resources and money away from these people. Leave them enough to live on for the rest of their lives. But, you know, and, and don't put them in jail. No harm. Just take the power away from them. And I'm, you know, I'm totally against all this New World Order Illuminati nonsense. But... In truth, I I feel that, you know, the the Earth has become a very small place now. And I really do think it's time for a world government. You know, take respectable people, put them on a council that will distribute these resources and money evenly all over the planet. Help every human being on this Earth. They have that, you know, like I said, with these resources, they can do this easily.
0: Oh, easily. But the problem is the bad guys that want to maintain control are the ones who have that right now, and there's no way to have a benevolent uh, worldwide government not at the moment
1: well, I mean if it's like i said we have we have very little time to play with here you know we we have to get this situation dealt with as, as rapidly as possible because like I said, we will go extinct and, and the rate that like the poisoning is going on is just unbelievable, so if, you know, I mean, I've, I've said it openly in my books. I mean, they're available on my website. Actually, I'm just going into print this week for the first book, you know, in paperback. But there's, there's e-books available on my website at phoenixtears.ca. But, uh, you know, we have, to, we have to bring everything here back into focus. And people have to realize that it's, it's, it's we ourselves who have to make the changes here. Our governments are not going to do it. The doctors don't want to give up playing God. The police don't want to, you know, stop being bullies. The lawyers don't want to stop making money, you know. But should we be dying so these clowns can make money? You know, I think it's time we just looked at ourselves for what we are and realized that we're not nearly as smart as we think we are. We have been manipulated. We have been enslaved all through history. I mean, if you look at the mankind's history, it it reads like a horror story. You know, war after war after war. You know, and we sit there and we always say, oh, you know, well, we're so smart. We learn by our mistakes. Well, show me any time that we've ever learned anything because we keep repeating the same damn mistakes over and over again. So we're not too damn bright. That's the first thing we got to deal with. And then, you know, we have to realize that that nobody's going to stand up for us. We're the ones that have to do it. But what I'm hoping, like I said, do it in a nonviolent way and at least for the first while. And if, if, you know, if we make no progress that way, then I guess all hell's going to break loose because I mean.
0: Well, I think if there's enough people, it could be done in a nonviolent way. That's the thing. If, if the vast majority of people said we're done, we know who you are and you're not doing it anymore. You could take over the governments from the, this is the way I always explain to people, do it from the bottom up. Don't try and get someone in as president because they own that so well that it's you're not gonna be able to get there but if you take over everything on a local government and then start working your way up the Mm -hmm. pyramid that's a different story and as far as the humanity collapsing i'm pretty sure the elite know that because there are just too many reports of them having preparations made for some calamity they're going to be safe they're going to make it they don't care about us. That's not for us. Well,
1: I, you know, I, was, I was watching a documentary one night and starring Mr. Bill Gates. You know, what a piece of work he is. You know, that, that fool's up there telling everyone, you know, oh, well, you know, your children should have all the vaccinations and the implants and shots and all of this. And then two minutes later on the same documentary, he's talking about depopulating the planet.
0: Well, yeah, he's all involved in eugenics and everything. So,
1: I, I, you know, I, I hate to do this, Mr. Gates, but I'd like to tell you where to shove your vaccines. You know, this, this is ridiculous. <laughs> you know, it, it's all Illuminati nonsense. These people truly are psychopaths. And uh, I mean, I, I look at these rich people. It's these mega rich. Like money is like a, a drug to them. It's like an addiction. And they just never seem to have enough money and power. You know, and and I think I, I'm actually I'm quite sure they do quite a bit of fighting among themselves, because.
0: Oh, I wouldn't be surprised. Well,
1: I used to think, you know, like when I, I was like in the early days when I was doing this, like I said, I was standing out alone, and I, you know, I started to realize, well, the whole damn system's against me, but yet I've never, I've never even been threatened. Nobody's ever threatened me. You know, they persecuted me, but really? they've never threatened. Nobody's threatened. Nobody. Well, it wouldn't do them any good anyway if they did, but but nobody has ever threatened me. So that told me that these people are not nearly as well organized as we might think. You know, because...
0: Well, they don't, they, quote unquote, they, like the top of the lead, they don't do much of anything. They just expect all the useless idiots that they control to do it for them. So it really depends upon those people's decisions. Yeah, well, that's
1: right. But I mean, back, like back in say 2004, 2005, if they had put a bullet in my head, that would have been the end of it. You know, but, and, and what really surprised me they couldn't seem to see something of this magnitude coming straight at them. You know, I mean, I I didn't make any secret at at all about what I was doing. And I I think, really, often people have told me that I should have went to British Columbia to do this. But I honestly think if I had gone to B.C., I think they would have crushed me. But where I was way to hell down on the east coast of Canada and Nova Scotia, you know, the most conservative province in Canada, uh, I don't think they took me seriously. And by the time they did, it was too late. Because I had so many supporters. And right now, I mean...
0: Well, no, it sounds like things went the way they needed to. Because if you had been in, like... It'd almost be like trying to do something out of Manhattan. Yeah. You know? It's like, well, obviously it's corrupt there. Or Chicago. It's like, well, they own everything there. It's like, crush. You're done. You're not getting anywhere. You
1: see, now that so many people know this story and they know the truth here now and the book's out there and everything. Well, if they can't... I'm not saying... I don't know. Maybe they will come and shoot me, but... If they do, then they got a martyr, don't they? It doesn't the matter now. Thing. That's the stupidest thing they could do.
0: Right. Yeah, you, well, they'd make, a, they would make a martyr out of you. But second, it's everywhere now. Like, I knew who you were before I spoke to you.
1: <laughs> well, I just got word today. They wanted, they, now, all these lectures, these Dr. Hanoush and Dr. Hornby and Malamede and I, these lectures we've been doing, I just got word today that a group of pharmaceutical companies now want us to go do the, a lecture for them. And when the guy made the offer to me, I just laughed at him. I said, I'll never cooperate with the pharmaceutical industry. I said, you know, these other doctors, they might take part. I don't know because they've been part of the system for a long time. But there's no damn way I'll ever get in bed with any pharmaceutical company. It's so like I said, this belongs to the people. This plant belongs to the people. It's the only thing that can save this earth. And it's just about time we all got off our asses and did something about it. I'm with you. You know, like it's, it, well, I, I'm just going to go on a little bit about the healing power. You know, people contact me all the time, and, you know, they're always asking so many questions. If they would just go to phoenixtears.ca and read the information, it's all there. You know, it tells you how to do everything, make the medicine, take it the proper way. Everything is there that you need. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm being contacted all the time with many questions, and I'm sort of basically stressed straight to the breaking point, you know, because it's, it's very hard to keep up with everything that's going on right now. And now they want me everywhere. I'm, like I'm going next month. I'll be in Chile at the expo weed there. And I have to be in Slovenia next month doing another lecture. But, uh, you know, it's, it's really exhausting.
0: Are these people paying your, your travel expenses? Oh, yes. Okay, good. Well,
1: that's, the only, that's the only way I can afford to do it.
0: Well I was curious about that because I know you're going all over the place, all over the world. And uh, yeah. that's not cheap.
1: But I want the people to know that, I mean, I've called this medication a cure-all and especially when you're making the medicine with mixed different oils, it does have this blanket effect, and it seems to work on everything. But it it literally is a cure-all, and if you have any disease, I don't care what it is, no multiple sclerosis, chronic pain, AIDS, you know, anything, uh, Parkinson's, uh, Alzheimer's. Well, I mean, we're even treating schizophrenics now very successfully with this oil. So there's so many of these so-called incurable conditions that this oil just works magic on. I've always told people, if the oil doesn't cure you, you're probably going to find that it's the best control for your condition available. And, you know, I mean, I've I've seen this, and, you know, often when people would come to me with cancer, they would have diabetes, gallbladder problems, arthritis, all kinds of things would be wrong with them. They do the oil, and it heals everything.
0: Does it affect diabetes? I was actually curious about that.
1: Oh, yes, wonderful, wonderful effects in diabetes on eyesight. It was very common for people that came to me. I used to laugh at it. They come and they get the oil, and then about a month later, six weeks later, I get a call, and they say, well, I think I'll have to get off the oil. It's affecting my eyesight. And I'd laugh at them and say, okay, go back to your eye doctor and have your eyes checked, and you're probably going to find that your glasses are now too strong. And every time, that's what they did, because there's nothing better for your eyesight. It lowers your ocular pressure. It prevents degeneration of the eyes. Uh, we, we have some amazing stories about what it can do, you know, for your eyesight and well, all diseases. And on top of that, like even with our pets, you know, all animal life have, have an endocannabinoid system, the same as we do. You know, the greatest medicine we can give our pets, our dogs, whatever, it's, it's the oil. I mean, we're we're treating dogs now with terminal cancers, usually within a week and a half to two weeks are cured. You can almost see it happening before your eyes because a dog's metabolism is so much quicker than a human's. Right. And it it just rejuvenates. I mean, it's it's rejuvenating. We know this from all the reports and everything. I mean, the oil is rejuvenating vital organs. It's anti-aging. It keeps you at a healthy body weight. As long as you're taking maintenance doses of the oil, you're keeping your body in a state of constant detoxification. You know, because we're we're surrounded by poisons and heavy metals and all this trash, but if you're taking a little bit of oil every night, you're 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 you know you're maintaining a detoxified state, and this is what we need.
0: Do you think it could have anti-aging and um, life extension qualities?
1: Oh God, yeah. I, I've said right off, if you took a small dog and started giving it oil, I I think its life expectancy would double, and I really believe. I really believe that could be hold true for human beings too, because the anti-aging effect of this medication is just beyond belief. I, I, years ago, uh, one night I, I took a, I, I was experimenting with creams and things like that. So I took some oil one night and I mixed it with a big jar of Noxema. That's a face cream that's available in Canada. And I put 15 grams of this high-grade oil. And of course, the Noxema is white, but when I mixed it all in, it turned the Noxema yellow. And I put a big, big wad of this stuff on my head or on my face. I went down and washed my face, and I took a big gob of it, and, and I rubbed it. it. took me a half an hour to rub it in. You know, I kept rubbing it all in. And I got a little bit in my eyes, and my eyes were burning and uh, a little bit. It wasn't, you know, cannabinoids will burn if you get them in the eyes. But uh, it, it was bearable. So about a half an hour later, I went to bed, and not thinking anything. I Next morning, I got up and went down to the bathroom. And when I looked in the mirror, I was stunned. Because almost all of the wrinkles and all the little lumps and bumps, everything was gone. Wow. <laughs> you know, and, well, I, you know, I'm a man, so I just looked at it and said, well, that's nice. I just <laughs> didn't attach anything more to it. But I went over to the neighbor's house uh, to have a coffee, and I was, I was there for about an hour before. Well, his wife kept looking at me. And about an hour later, she walked over to me, and she asked me point blank. She said, Rick, did you have a facelift? And I, I told her what I'd done. And I swear to God, Jason, I mean, if the women on this planet knew what that oil could do for their complexions, this stuff would be legal tomorrow morning. You know, I mean, it, it's it's amazing what it does for, you know, for our skin and, our, and, and different skin conditions. And even scar tissue, it takes scar tissue away for God's sakes.
0: Let all the self-centered people in Hollywood find that out and you'll see how quickly it'll spread.
1: But, you know, the, the funny part was it was about two days after I'd done that. I was out in the deck in my backyard, and it's about 600 yards across the valley to the tree line. I mean, all my life, I was always nearsighted. I could never, like, like a tree 300 yards away, I could see the tree, but I couldn't see the limbs. There was, it wasn't distinct. And then two days after I got that stuff in my eyes, I was sitting there on the deck, and I looked across the valley at the tree line, and I could see the limbs. My eyesight—I'll be sixty-five years old, the end of November. My eyesight now is better, better than it ever has been in my entire life.
0: Oh, it, it lasted? Like it did? The, did that one effect, yeah, and then it stayed? It
1: stayed. You know, I'm, it, it's just phenomenal. You know, it, it's <laughs> there, there's hardly—I mean, if you have even a toothache, if you got this oil and you got a toothache, slap the oil on it. It'll kill the pain. You know, some of these oils are the greatest. Uh, I was growing a strain in Canada that I considered to be probably, I think, was the greatest painkiller on this planet. Uh, I had a man contact me. His wife was dying with bone cancer in the St. John Hospital in New Brunswick. He was crying on the phone. You know, he said, my wife is dying in agony. They have her hooked up to hydromorphine and all of this stuff, trying to kill the pain. It can't kill the pain. And he said, I heard about this oil. You know, is there any truth in it? And I told him, I said, come down. So he came down, and I gave him some oil. The very next morning, that man called me back. He said, my wife's out of pain. Now, isn't that something we should be using? You know, a non-addictive, highly, well, a non-addictive painkiller that actually happens to be, I think, you know, I mean, if it can kill pain, then hydromorphine can't even touch. Well, what is it? It has to be the greatest pain relief on the planet. You know, it's, it's just that we, we have to, what we need to do, we need to get to the right or have the freedom To grow, grow the most medicinal strains on earth. Stabilize, you know. I I would like to do a little bit of crossing, because I I you know I I did I was a breeder myself, but stabilize these strains and then make them available to the public at a very cheap price. As a matter of fact, I would like I wouldn't mind supplying it to governments, you know, because like I said, hemp seeds are very prolific, and I feel that every country on this planet, every government, should have their own farm, big huge farm. They should be producing cannabis on a grand scale and producing this medicine, and they should make it available to their people on a donation basis. If they did that, then they would be representing the people now, wouldn't they?
0: Absolutely. Are there any countries on Earth where this could actually be set up to be done without being concerned of uh, the authorities coming down on you?
1: Well, it's opening up more and more now. I really do think something's going to happen here in the Balkans in just the next few months. Uh, Too many people know the truth. But there's countries, from what I understand, of all places, North Korea. I'm told that I'm told that North Korea they actually tell the people over there it's better if they smoke cannabis instead of cigarettes. So wow, maybe and, and it actually that's the truth. It is much better to smoke cannabis; It's much healthier. Cigarettes can kill you. <laughs> but uh, you know it, it it really is. It's just a a question of a few months now. I figure by next spring, I think you'll see cannabis grown grown in a big way here in many countries in Europe. And, uh, you know, once the first country really opens things up, the rest of the countries will just fall like dominoes. I mean, you can't be curing people of all these cancer and all these other horrible diseases in one country and not have it happening in another. So this is going to sweep the planet, and I believe, in a wave of healing like mankind has never seen before. And it's never in man's history has it ever been needed so badly.
0: Well, this is going to be... A major blackout by the mainstream media. So all the the gazillions of alternative people out there, people who are, you know, actually can reach millions of people. They need to be reporting on this. The, like this needs to be never ending. Like this is what's going on in this country. This is who's doing it. Take this information and spread it because this could be the thing that actually really does start changing everything.
1: Well, it's one issue. And this one, I mean, there's all kinds of issues, you know, that are presenting huge problems on this earth. But this is the one issue that concerns us all. Every man, woman and child on this planet. This is your future. If you don't you know, this is the most important issue. Uh, uh, this is the most important issue by far. We need to get the cannabis legalized and we need to be able to grow this on a grand scale. And then we can begin to solve all our other problems. Uh, and I think they're going to be a lot easier to solve than most people realize because, you know, I I I do believe that I'm, I'm sure there are, you know, there are devices out there now for free energy. You know, Nikola Tesla, over 100 years ago, Nikola Tesla was heading in that direction.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, he was.
1: So, you know, why shouldn't we have free energy? Why shouldn't we have effective medicine? And why shouldn't we turn this this world into the utopia it should be instead of the hell that it is?
0: Because we all have to want it. And that's the bottom line.
1: Well, I want it, brother, and I know you do. And there's millions more just like us, and our numbers are growing rapidly every day. Believe me.
0: That's why we're here, Rick. We are are here as the messengers. We're here to to help others understand that things don't have to be the way they are. But you have to know that they don't have to be that way.
1: Right. Well, I mean, you know, Canada, I've been back to Canada. In 2012, they withdrew the bogus charges they put against me. I was back in Canada for months. Uh, the police—I shouldn't say—yeah, the police never came near me, but one did. He came looking for a treatment for his daughter. <laughs> but uh, you know, there's no issues with me. I'm not a wanted uh, criminal or anything. I can return to Canada anytime I want. That's good. But like I said, it, the country is sicking me, so I—I I really don't think I'll ever live there again. But I'll—I'll I'll find a country. Uh, I actually—I'm looking for a country with a decent climate. Canada. Most of Canada is not so good for growing.
0: Oh no. And, well, I mean, there's lots of parts of the United States they would be, but it's so, I mean, we're living in a velvet uh police state already.
1: Well, I mean, I really feel sorry for the Americans. I, when I was a child, young, you know, I, I thought that America was the greatest country in the world, and at that time it was. I almost went to Vietnam. I mean, if it hadn't been for Muhammad Ali, you know, uh, refusing to be the draft, I, I was ready to go to Vietnam. But when he did that, I thought, what's going on here? And I really had to laugh at that time because so many people said that Ali, you know, Muhammad Ali is a coward because he won't go to Vietnam. You know, what kind of nonsense is that? You know, he's a heavyweight champion of the world. He goes in and beats the tar out of all these tough guys. I don't <laughs> think this guy has much fear. And, and, no. and even if he had a win, they wouldn't, have, they wouldn't have put him on the front lines. They would have done the same thing with Muhammad Ali that they did with Joe Lewis. He would have done tours, you know, boxing exhibitions, things things of that nature. Okay. Oh, sure. You know, uh, it was just that Muhammad Ali knew the difference between right and wrong. And I think he was a very, very wise man. And I had the greatest respect in the world for him. And I do believe he really was the greatest.
0: <laughs> you know, I, I can tell you, I haven't really said this to really anyone yet. I, I was speaking to a person in the military the other just the other night. Um, I'm in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And he told me that... there's massive militarization of police I have personally witnessed and videoed and posted those videos of massive uh, military vehicles traveling around here and he told me that there is an extreme build up right now of everything Uh, there are 16 bases just in this general area that no one would ever find if they went looking for them and that they are preparing for something he didn't know what and that If we want things to change, the people have to do it because they talk. The military guys talk. Mm -hmm. And they know that something is coming really soon. So if we want to change things for the better, we need to start taking action. And that doesn't mean violence. That just means we need awareness. We need to really take a good look at what's going on and try to peacefully change things for the better before it's too late. Because the powers that be are going to have the capability to clamp down on us whenever they want to.
1: Well, you know, when you look at history and some of the greatest statesmen that history tells us we ever had, you know, when you look at George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, you know, Abraham Lincoln, you know, and, this, and many of these people that we call the founding fathers, the people that wrote the Constitution, you know, and the Declaration of Independence, you know, if we had if we had stuck to the if the American uh, people had stuck to the Constitution, America would be the greatest country in the world. But the trouble is they shredded the Constitution. They've they've tossed it aside. And, I mean, look what you have there right now. You know, Barry Santora, you know, Barack Obama, President of the United Mm -hmm. States, born in Kenya. You know, I mean, what's going on here? None of that makes any sense. And then you see all of these political leaders, the ones that become prime ministers. Well, if you want to see them before they become and start playing that role, just watch the Bilderberg meetings. Because they're usually oh, in yes. attendance because that's where they groom them.
0: That's right. They're either Rhodes Scholars or they're in Skull and Bones. They go to Bilderberg meeting. I mean it's obvious when, when you start seeing who the bigwigs are. They, they all have the same similar histories.
1: Well, I mean the way I look at it, if people want to call me or not, they can they can call me whatever they want. I'm just speaking the simple truth and I defy anybody to prove me wrong. You know, there's the open challenge. I've challenged the pharmaceutical industry. If you have any medication for, for any condition that's better than cannabis oil, show it to me. None of them ever none of them ever have.
0: Of course not. And I learned a very, very hard lesson last year going through the worst thing that ever happened to me with someone. And the lesson I really took from it is no matter how much you care, you can't save everyone, but there certainly are a great number you can. They just need the information. There are going to be people who are going to turn their back on you no matter how much you care. No matter how much I say I love you, they don't care. But there are plenty of people you can help, and that's what we're doing. Well, here to in do.
1: the beginning, I mean, I was out to heal everyone. And it's like you say, you'll meet people no matter what you do. They just won't do as you ask. But, uh, you know, I, I've come to the point now, I, I do want to do a great deal more research. But for the most reason I'm doing this now, it's for the children and for the animals. You know, I love working with animals anyway. They don't give you any back talk and they take medicine right. But, uh, you know, our <laughs> children are the hope of the future. You know, if we educate them properly in the truth, show them how to heal themselves and the important things they need to know to survive, then I think that we're doing the right thing. And animals, I mean, I love working with, with dogs and things like that because they're they're just so innocent, you know, and and when you watch an animal on, on this medication – uh, like, we, we had a huge dog back home. Uh, we'd had her for years, uh big uh, uh, Labrador retriever crossed with a German Shepherd. And she was about around 130 pounds, big dog, but big and friendly, first-class pothead. I mean, if, if you lit a joint, she'd be right in front of you. <laughs> she just loved the stuff. But, you know, she got up around <laughs> 18, 19, 20, somewhere. She was an old, old dog. And she really started slowing down and my son said to me one day he said he, he mentioned it and i'd already treated many dogs with the oil and i knew what the oil could do so you know with can with dogs you know with dogs with cancer and all this and uh, arthritis and joint problems it's, it's wonderful so i gave susie her name was susie and I, I gave her two doses a day for five days and i gave them i remember the first dose i gave her she came over and she licked it off my finger and about 20 minutes later, you could see her kind of wobbling, and then down she went, and then she was in doggy heaven for the next 10, 11 hours. <laughs> but I kind of thought, you know, it might have scared her, but when she got <laughs> up in the evening, I, I put some more on my finger. She came right back over and licked it off. At the end of five days, like, it's well over 100, uh, uh, 100 yards to the, to the road. My house is way back off the road. And that dog was running in and out my driveway, just like a one-year-old or two-year-old pup. It was unbelievable, the difference. Talk about rejuvenation. And, uh, you know, I always told people, I said, you know, like, in in many ways, animals are smarter, especially dogs. They're they're smarter than humans. And they'd say, you know, what do you mean? And I said, well, one time, see, I used to make lower-grade oils, too, for skin conditions. You know, you don't throw any of the plant away. You try to make whatever medication you can out of it. So I was making some of these lower grade oils. I wouldn't use them for internal cancers or something, but for many skin conditions like rosacea or, or uh, different skin conditions, it works miracles. So I put some of this on my finger one day and I called Susie over and she come over and she put her nose down to the oil on my finger. And then I swear, she, the eyes come up and I swear to God, that dog gave me a dirty look <laughs> and she turned around and walked away. So I sat there and I thought, oh, well, I knew it wouldn't hurt me. So I took the oil and I walked over and I got some of the high grade, put it on my finger, walked back over. It was gone in a flash. She
0: could smell the difference.
1: She knew the difference. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, if we can treat our animals, I know, you know, I mean, the the veterinarians treat our animals the, the same as the human doctors treat us. You know, they give dogs chemotherapy and all that other garbage, you know, so, you know, these, these pets... Come to mean a lot to a lot of people. I mean, families love their pets. Oh, absolutely. And you know, it's, and you know, if you have an animal like for ten, fifteen years, if it dies, it's like a family member dies. For God's sakes. Of course. So I, I think we ha- we should have the right, you know, to at least treat our pets if we if we choose. And I, I really believe it would make a huge, you know, huge difference in the farming industry if farmers were allowed to grow cannabis on a big scale again and use it as an animal feed. And use it in all the traditional ways that it has been used in the past. You know, it's it's the future. It's old technology, but it's the only technology that can save us.
0: Well, you know, if our communities were using all of this and then in combination with the fact that we understand germs and how to be clean, sewage systems and all that, we would have as close to a utopia as could be had on Earth.
1: Well, they say life is an illusion, and I I have to agree with it. But we truly are the ones that create this illusion. And it can either be ugly or it can be beautiful. The choice is out.
0: That's right. You could either live your own dream or you could live someone else's. And right now we are living out someone else's nightmare.
1: That's exactly right. You know, it would be a terrible thing to see our species, you know, in 20 years wind up becoming extinct because of our own stupidity but if that's in, but if we don't do something that's what's going to happen you know i i do think the rich elite you're right the rich elite are getting ready for armageddon you know they're going to have their hiding places and their food supplies and stuff like that yes they do and and they just don't give a damn about us but uh, but it's the rich elite that caused all of this in the first place it was their mismanagement of our resources that have put us in this situation and i think there should be a price to pay
0: i think uh, i think a lot of people well i should say a lot more people are starting to think that way
1: well the the numbers like you said are growing at such a such a rate now and i mean i know because well i'm the leader of the hemp movement now and i get all these emails from all these organizations everywhere and this thing is growing so rapidly it's just unbelievable but uh but like you said you know the public must be aware that often when you're when you purchase an oil it's i have nothing to do with it and often these oils will not have the medical benefits that these people are claiming. So it's like I said, if, if you want the real thing for God's sakes, you know, either grow your own cannabis or go buy a pound of high grade cannabis, you know, from a, from a local grower, explain to the grower what what it's wanted for. If you tell them that you need it for a cancer treatment, often the growers will bend over backwards to try to help you if they're good, you know, if they're good ones. Right. So tell, tell them what you need it for. And, uh, like I said, prove it to yourself. You know, this this medicine. There's no rocket science in in hemp oil. Anybody can make it. You know, I mean, I could do. I can make the oil blindfolded. I don't even need to see what I'm doing to make it. For God's sakes. And, and I've told people right along. Once you make the oil once or twice, it's no harder than making a cup of coffee. And if you and the, and the instructions that we have on the website are very very detailed. If you just read the instructions and follow the instructions. You know, uh, countless numbers of people worldwide have done just that and they have achieved the same results that I achieved. And that's the reason the reputation of this medicine is spreading so rapidly.
0: I completely agree with you. I know I've kept you for quite some time. Is there anything else you feel that uh, you absolutely want to get said on on this interview?
1: Well, no, I, I think we've covered most of the bases, brother. I'd be happy to come back for another interview anytime. But okay. I, I, really, I really want to thank you, Jason, and people like you because – you know, like you're on the front lines the same as I am, you know, with these issues. And I think the work you're doing is wonderful. And I just hope the people have the common sense to listen to what we're telling them. I mean, we have no reason to lie. We were not making any profit. We just want to see a better world. So I want to thank you for allowing me this time. And it was a pleasure working with you, brother.
0: Uh, and I absolutely thank you for all the work you've done.
1: Well, there was one other issue I would like to tell the people. We often hear this thing about, you know, cannabis must be kept from our children. And, I mean, it's okay for the doctors to fill them full of anti- uh, antidepressants and Ritalin and whatever the doctors choose. That's okay, you know, because that's not against the law. But keep cannabis away from your children. Now, back in the 1980s, a lady named Melanie Dreher, she did a study to determine where the healthiest babies on this planet are born. Her findings were that the healthiest babies on this planet are born to mothers in Jamaica who use cannabis a great deal. She, the study was quite extensive and she even went back after 20 years to see how these children had made out. But these are the healthiest babies born on this planet. Now, if a a mother is using cannabis, smoking it, eating it, doing whatever during her pregnancy and indeed it doesn't affect the baby in the developmental stages in the womb, and in truth actually helps the baby to develop better because these are the healthiest babies on the planet. Then why would this medication be, be unsafe to use for a child or anyone of any age? It's the safest medicine on earth. And I mean, I wouldn't hesitate as far as I'm concerned. If there was a flu epidemic or something, I would never consider a vaccine or any of that nonsense. No, I would simply give my children hemp oil because I know that will protect them.
0: Totally agree with you there.
1: I think that pretty well covered it. (laughs) Awesome.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Rick. That's it for this episode of Secrets of Saturn. Take care.